This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. We go right to your phone calls. That's what the show's about. Let's start with TSA George listening in Washington, D.C. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. Hey, George. What's on and, your mind tonight? Yeah, I wanted to um, chime in on this thing that um, Paula and two other guys are talking about, how like this big comet would hit Babylon. She said that's New York City or something like that. Yeah, she was saying, uh, Paula, our virtually nightly chronic caller, who's uh, pretty nuts, called in to say that uh, the world was going to end. Or no, she didn't say the world was going to end. She said New York City was going to be wiped off the map in, was it 2012 or 2009? Sounds right. Comet or something like that. Like, well, first off, Babylon is Baghdad. Well, how do you know? How does how do you know what it well, is? And what she it is? she decided that uh, you know that Babylon it, it was a figurative term to describe I don't know the biggest city or something which New York certainly yeah, is. Yeah, but, but. You no know, Baghdad's a city. There's a I think it was Euphrates the Tigris River runs through it. You know, so I mean that the and that's in the same area where those um, biblical ages took place. So the green zone's going to get hit with a comet according to the Bible. <laughs> there you right go. There. Thanks for clearing that up, George. Anything else on your mind tonight? This wasn't the Bible. This was uh, something off of her ancientmanuscripts.com website. Yeah. I guess I'm not on my mind. Do you hear about this one dude who glued himself to the prime minister of Britain? I heard someone attempted to do that. How did that work out? It took about 30 minutes for the prime minister to unglue himself. Oh, wow. It was successful. Okay. I I forgot the guy's name, but he was pretty much protesting airport expansion and road expansion or something like that. Some. Greeny, but I thought it was funny as hell. I would love to see that happen to Bush. It's an interesting <laughs> idea for uh, for a protest to glue oneself to a politician. I wonder what they uh, wonder what they charged him with after that, like assault or something. Actually, they didn't press any charges because um, the prime minister was giving this dude an award, and he put him and the guy put him a stabbed the uh, prime minister in the back with this whole thing. Wow, that's amazing. Interesting story, and thank you for calling tonight, George. We appreciate it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Yeah, I can hardly imagine uh, what that conversation must have been like that for that 30 minutes while the guy, one man was glued to the other. Now, what did he do, put crazy glue in his palm of his hand and shake the guy's hand? And must have been something like that. That would make sense, right? Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden you can't let go? That would be really <laughs> great. <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about an issue that we've speculated on in the past. And then, Mark, you're going to give us an update on the e-gold situation, That's which right. we've talked about before. But we have speculated before about smoking bans and how to get around them as far as businesses, you know, how businesses, they like to obey what the government diktats are, but they also like to look for loopholes to see if they can still continue operating in the way they originally were, um, if it's specified there's a way to do that in the, uh, the law that's been written. And in a lot of smoking bans, they do have exceptions for private clubs. Mm-hmm. So the suggestion has been in the past, well, what would happen if a restaurant that wanted to keep smoking, allowing its customers to smoke, converted into a private club? Would they be left alone at that point? And no. The yeah, answer I, is no. 
Uh, I, I figured they wouldn't be. Right. And because it's not about the law. It's about controlling people. That's what the law is all about. And so trying to get around uh, the regulations, the way they're written, will not necessarily save you from persecution by these bureaucrats. And here is the story, which actually somebody took the time to print, highlight, and mail to me. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so this story from DailyJournal.net in Johnson County, Indiana. A Franklin club wants a judge to stop the city from citing it for violations of a smoking ban while the court decides if the city's enforcement of the ban is legal. D&D Club, formerly Don and Donna's Restaurant, is suing the city for improperly enforcing the ban. The club is requesting a preliminary injunction, which means it wants a judge to stop enforcement of the ban immediately because it's causing harm. According to the lawsuit, D&D Club's reputation in the community was harmed by the city's enforcement of the ban. D&D Club is operating as a club, and the city targeted it for enforcement, according to their attorney, Michael Limerick. Now, the club hired Limerick, an attorney uh, from Indianapolis. The manner in which the city has enforced the smoking ban is unlawful because D&D Club meets the standards for a private club, they say. The ordinance itself is vague, of course, and the city singled out the club in its enforcement efforts. A final decision on the case will be made in a separate hearing after the judge decides whether the city should immediately stop issuing citations to the club, and the club wants the judge to decide that the city is not enforcing the ban properly, while the city argues that the D&D club is not, in fact, a club. Franklin's smoking ban, which went into effect August 1st of, uh, I believe, 2006, Prohibits smoking in public places such as restaurants, stores, and workplaces. Smoking is allowed at private clubs and bars. And Don and Donna's restaurant switched its for-profit restaurant status to a non-profit private club, allowing their guests to continue to smoke. So they tried to jump through whatever legal hoops they thought were available for them in order to qualify as a club so they would be left alone under this particular smoking ban. But and the city has refused to acknowledge their you know, not-for-profit status. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible that, uh, that you know I, I'd be interested in seeing how their their books were were worked and that kind of thing. But uh, you know they're not making that much money in the restaurant business anyway. So. Well, it actually says later in the story that they were not actually making any money running their restaurants. So <laughs> now they're not making any money as a club. But again, the city says it's not actually a club. The city says they shouldn't receive the preliminary injunction because the club is operating the same as when it was a restaurant. According to their lawyer, they'll never be able to show irreparable harm. The claim that they're a private club is a sham. Now, they don't actually offer any sort of reasoning as to why it's a sham. They just say it's a sham. That's right. And that's probably going to be good enough for the judge in this case. Because remember, who does he work for? Well, I agree that uh, the, your, your chances, uh, in, you know, with a government judge and you know, going against a government aren't particularly good. But sometimes, so far, the D and D club has received four one hundred dollar citations for violating the smoking ban, and none of them have yet been paid. A total of ten citations have been issued by the city, and none of the other citations was issued to a private club. The smoking ban says private clubs are defined by the payment of dues and self-governance by the membership, and are formed as a recognized exclusive association of people organized for a joint or common purpose. And according to their lawyer, he says that D&D Club Incorporated meets the requirements stated in the ordinance. They uh, Apparently, the owner of the building in which the club is located said the city has never even told the club why it doesn't meet standards as a private club. 
anyone can join the club by paying a $1 membership fee. And it has two types of membership, social and equity. Now, Ms. Barnaby and her husband, Jim, are the two equity members, which means they have voting rights and are responsible for the club's finances. Other members of the club can become equity members, but no one has chosen to do so. Right. I really want to give you a whole bunch of money to get involved in this crap. (laughs) Neither Mary or Jim Barnaby is an employee of the club or is paid the couple and two other people are the board of directors, and they are not paid for being on the board. The restaurant didn't make a profit before it became a club, and revenues from the club don't meet expenses either, according to Barnaby. Employees are asked, are, excuse me, are instructed to ask anyone they don't recognize as a member to become a member. If a patron says he or she does not want to become a member, that person is asked to leave. It sounds like a private club to me. Me too. Yeah. I mean, what do they need? If somebody is new to the club and wants to wait to decide to become a member, that person can be a guest of the club for the day, said Ms. Barnaby. When code enforcement officers first issued the citation uh, to the club, it was done without an investigation. The mayor simply ordered them to issue the citation. And so they did. So they they just they were being targeted for this. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny that uh, you've got the situation here where uh, this organization is supposed to be doing investigations and they just follow what the mayor says. Okay. Yep. All right away, sir. Aye, aye, Captain. The code, uh, code enforcement officers then asked the Board of Works to clarify for them how a private club is defined. Franklin officials claim that the D&D club is not a private club but can't tell anyone why. So there you have it. Uh, even if there is an exemption in their own rules about what is and what is not qualified to this smoking ban nonsense, they don't give a damn. I guess if it was a politician's private club, they'd probably meet the qualifications. More coming up. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, and they include the archives. If you've missed a moment of the show, just click and download uh, we've got a bunch of archives. In fact, an entire year's worth of the show is free right there on the front page of the website for you at freetalklive.com. Travel less and meet online. Try WebEx for free. Go to webex.com and enter the promo code 600 to start your free trial of WebEx. That's WebEx, W-E-B-E-X.com. WebEx.com. Enter promo code 600 and start your free trial of WebEx today. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231. We go to your call. Still to come, the update on eGold. Sounds like there's some serious trouble coming for those guys. Uh, but we will go first to Lucas in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Lucas. Hey. Uh, hey, what's on your mind? Hey. Uh, just one thing. Let me yell at you for a little bit. I was on hold all day yesterday and didn't get through. So You were on yeah, hold all day? Out. Yes. Okay, it's it's possible that I didn't get uh, your. That's, it's call. all right. Don't worry about. It, don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, first, I'd like to say no. In my ever constant pursuit to bring you back to topics you were talking about the day before, yes, ew, there is a virtual console on the Wii. However, I do not use it because I'm hardcore and I play the console. I play the cartridges because that's how I roll. 
Well, we and, were talking uh, about the uh, the video game. What was it? The emulators, I guess. And, yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah. Pro- and intellectual property. So that's how you roll, huh, Lucas? What? That is how you roll. You are the old school roller. Yeah. Yeah. I play the cartridges. But, uh, oh, that's really old school. Why yeah. not go back all the way to Pong and just you know the the you one might, game? You might have Pong. You have Pong? Uh, no, I do not. Not old school enough. How old are you, Lucas? I am 14. Oh, okay. Wow. So you weren't even around when the Nintendo yeah. Entertainment. You're like one of those kids that runs around with a Dio shirt on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make any damn sense. So why why is it that somebody? Here's my curiosity. Why is it that somebody who wasn't even raised with the you know the 1980s video game world would take an interest in it? Is it? I mean, it's not nostalgic for you. You weren't there. Well, uh, I just don't like how games today are. They're not as good to me, and I've always been kind of weird. Like most people listen to Carlos Mencia, I listen to George Carlin. Well, one of the things about old games in, that's great about them is that there's not a lot of depth to them, so you can pick them up, play them, and put them down, and no big deal. Whereas, you know, the games of today, you've got to save and come back and continue the journey. And it, you know, I'm, I'm very generalizing. Certainly, there are still pick-up-and-play games today, uh, but for the most part, that's what almost all of them were back in the day. Just play for fun, yeah. and then you're done with them. Yeah. Is that the impression you get, Lucas? Yeah, Sound man. like you're about done. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. Don't get sleepy on me. We're going to take you off the lines. Uh, let's talk to Alex in New Jersey. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Alex. Alex, hey guys. New Jersey. You're on the air. What's on your mind? I was driving to work the other day, and I got a call from uh, Officer Berger with the Branchburg Police Department. Okay. And oh he was, he he was going to start railroading me about something that happened on Friday. You see, I got a text, a picture message with a funny picture in it that I thought was a funny joke. Okay. And I sent it in a mass pics, pics message out to all my friends. Uh oh. What was and the one picture? Of my, uh, I don't think I can really say on the air. Mm. But it was funny. It was hilarious. Was it was it sexually explicit in some way? It was it was anti-Semitic. Oh, okay. So racist then is what you say. Right, and it, it it was funny. You Pick know, I don't. Up, I, I certainly don't hate people. You know, I yeah. love my fellow human, but it's it was just a funny joke. But uh, I've anyway, heard funny funny uh, jokes of any of uh, you know racist uh, ilk, sure. But um, anyway, uh, my friend said, "Oh, send it to this person," and you know, it was you know almost midnight. I was waiting for Batman to start, so I go ahead and I send the picture message, and little did I know that it was this Jewish girl. And she got real pissed off, and then she, you know, filed a police report against me and all that other stuff. For what? For harassment. Uh, Oh, like the internet harassment stuff that they're talking about now. Yeah. So, but they, you know, uh, they're claiming that I was harassing them. The only time I sent her a text message was when she sent me a text message. And all my responses were just me correcting her grammar. So, um, how did she get the the, uh, the the joke email, the anti-Semitic joke email? How did she get that in the first place? You didn't send it to her? It was a picture message, and one of, one of my friends requested that I send it to her. So you did send it to her. So you initiated the conversation with her on your telephone? Correct. Okay. And what did this Officer Berger, what did Officer Berger have to say to you about it? It was a picture message, but, but you know, the, after, you know, on Tuesday, I get this call from him. And he goes, this is Officer Berger with the Branchford Police Department. Who am I speaking with? And I go, Alex. He 
he says, we're currently doing an investigation and your phone number was brought up part of it. And I said, all right, and he said it deals with the uh, sending of certain text messages on Friday. And I said, all right, harassment is only a problem if it keeps happening. After that Friday night, nothing else happened. I mm, didn't that's a good continue point. to harass them. I just let it go, and, you know, I didn't do anything. And, in fact, the girl's boyfriend was calling me and harassing me, and mm. I didn't do anything back. Yeah, and you didn't file you know, a I report. I just let it go. Right, you didn't and, file and a report. And I didn't report. do anything, but they filed the report. Wow. So then, then I said, then there's no problem. And then he said, oh, when did I ever bring up harassment so you know what's going on? It's like that incriminating <laughs> thing. And I go, yeah. And he said, what's your last name? I said, I'm not going to give you that information. And he said, now you listen. Do you know what I could do to you? I could trace this number just as easily, so you are going to tell me your information. <laughs> and I said, I said, okay, do it. Go do the work, you lazy bum. <laughs> right. And, and he said, we can uh, do this the easy way or the hard way, screaming at me with yep. a big, deep you know, voice. I said, I am unwilling to cooperate with you. And then he became completely calm. And he said, listen, I just want your information so I can fill out this paperwork. <laughs> Normally, the complaining party just wants to find out who did it. Mm -hmm. After that, they let bygones be bygones. I don't want us to get off on the wrong foot like 15 seconds ago. And <laughs> he said it all nice and stuff like that. And all I said was, I'm unwilling to cooperate with you. Then he started screaming at me and he <laughs> said, don't make, don't make this investigation harder than it needs to be. I said, I am, I am not willing to talk to you. You are just going to have to do your investigation the old-fashioned way. Yep. And wow. then, he, then he yelled at me, you just made my day, and he slammed the phone <laughs> on the receiver. <laughs> have you heard from him? You said this was Friday, so have you heard from him since? Well, no, the text message was sent on Friday, and this phone call that he initiated to me was made on Tuesday. Morning. Oh, okay. And was that where it all ended? Has he, has he done anything else? To your knowledge? No, he, no, he hasn't. I think you handled that pretty well. I mean, all things considered, I think you handled that pretty well. I don't know. I mean, you never know whether um, whether it was just going. He's just going to fill out the paperwork. Yeah, it doesn't look like an. It doesn't look like harassment to me. You know, you never know. Um, but I can tell you that uh, if he did decide to go after you and you had cooperated with him, you'd sure be kicking yourself. Right, right. And I, I realized that without my last name. He can't use anything I say as testimony. Yeah, he doesn't know who it was. Right, right. Yep. Could, there are millions of other Alex's out there. Right, he wanted you to uh, to lock yourself in by identifying yourself. And, of course, even if you had said it was you, it still would be no way, real way to prove it. But the less information the cops have, the better and the safer you are. And I think you did a good job there. And thank you for the call tonight. Appreciate it, dude. 800-259-9231. Also, let us know what happens uh, if anything else occurs in your case. And Always stop curious. sending people racist messages. Or follow-ups. <laughs> yeah, good point. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. The toll-free number is brought to you by SACL CAI 800-259-9231. That's one 800 259-9231. Of course, you can bring up whatever you want. That is the point of the program, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us. And those features, by the way, include the bulletin board system. You can get interactive with over 350,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about there, and it's all for free. So go to bbs.freetalklive.com to get interactive. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. 
if you've got a company or uh, you have some kind of influence in a company uh, that uh, needs some help with their accounts receivable, SACL CAI sponsors the show, and uh, they're great folks over there. They do a fantastic job. They uh, collect in an entirely different way than what you may expect with uh, collections companies. They don't harass your customers. They're not mean to them. They collect uh, um, your money with respect from your customers, and that way you can keep them in the future. That's SACL CAI. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com. We continue with your calls. It's John in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. Hello, John. Uh, yes. Hi. Hi, uh, Ian. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Mark. Uh, I wanted to uh, discuss uh, how the government uh, has recently been interfering in my life uh, to a large extent. Okay. Um, you, you're on does, it have any, a, does it have anything to do with your phone? Yeah, you're on a pretty <laughs> noisy line. Are you on a landline? It, it is a landline, yes. Okay, okay go ahead. It's, it's, it's doable, but uh, just go ahead with your point, sir. Okay, I apologize for that. Uh, yeah, recently, I was uh, just walking around with, uh, you know, my friend... Uh, in uh, Dallas, down where I live, and uh, the cops uh, were uh, just hassling me uh, a lot, and uh, I just felt it violated my freedoms totally. Well, how are they hassling you a lot? What does that mean? Well, I guess they just didn't like the appearance of a, a you know a man walking with another man uh, in such a way that I was, and uh, they uh, became uh, very offensive uh, towards me, and I felt it was very threatening and taking away my personal liberty. Are you a gay man? Uh, yes. So were you um, holding hands with another man or showing more yes, affection yes, than that? Uh, just, just that, nothing more. And what did the cops say to you? Uh, well, they uh, came up to me, they uh, called, made a few names, uh, and hmm. um, you know, I, I felt like I was just threatened. I felt very scared. Now, when you say you felt threatened, did they did they suggest that they might, uh, you know, how, how did you feel threatened? Did they, did they threaten you actually, or just, uh, you know, them coming up and saying mean stuff, which, you know, is completely inappropriate? Um, did, you know, was was that the, uh, the, the, the end of the threatening? A lot of mean stuff, but I think they became more concerned. I, you know, sort of had my hand on, uh, you know, um, his buttocks and he had his on mine and and then they became you know they sort of approached me as if they were going to arrest me okay I, I, did they actually wrong? i mean can you give me an example of what it was that they said to you um well it, they it, it, sort of as the situation it, um, it progressed i was um i i guess there was maybe some indecent exposure uh, involved in the situation and mm. um I what kind of indecent legal, exposure where were you you're just hanging out at the mall uh, no, not at the mall. I was uh, in the street. In the I was street. actually uh, in a park uh, where a lot mm-hmm. of other gay men hang out. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> were you hanging out or were you just hanging out? Uh, that's interesting. But uh, that's basically what it was. And uh, I yeah. felt that, you know, they were in. Why is. Here's what I want to know. And, and I understand where you can. Well, first, my question is what's the deal with the park thing? Like, why is it that, I mean, aren't there gay clubs you can go to to meet up with? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with meeting people in a park. I'm just wondering what the deal is with it. Um, well, it's a discreet area. So were you, were you in like a secluded area of the park, or were you meeting in the bathroom, or where exactly were you? Uh, a secluded area of the park. Just like bushes and trees around, that kind of thing? Yes, but what I'm more interested in is if... Let's say under your new world order, um, would I be able to do this on a regular basis without um, uh, incurring any penalty? 
If you own the park, you certainly may. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. If it's your private park, then the cops can't come on it. Yeah, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're uh, in the bushes in your yard, uh, you know, secluded away from people, you can hump in the bushes in your yard if you yep. want. And, and you can hump whomever you want as long as they're a consenting adult. I think I think that was a crank call, personally. but uh, I think so, too. But, uh, you know, people want to know the answer to that. You, Isn't you never it interesting, know. though, that, uh, you know, there are these uh, foresty locations Sometimes it's beaches. Very, a lot of the gay people are uh, gay men, at least from what I understand, are attracted to the natural locations like that. The romantic. You, you I that? think it's just the cheap guys that don't want to go to the bar. And yeah. Meet, meet, meet. <laughs> well, and the other thing is they don't want to. Um, you know, they want to have their sexual interlude, but they don't want to be rolled by a uh, you know gay burglar who would uh, you know find out what you know what's going on in their house and then perhaps wait till they're asleep or come back later or that kind of thing. I see. So that the idea is to keep the uh, you know keep keep a level of. Uh, a comfort zone away from uh, these people, but at the same time to have sex with them. It's interesting. If you wouldn't trust someone in your house, you're going to have sex with them. But I think it'd be a great. I mean, it'd be a great business for a gay uh, gay person to open up is a a nice, safe, private park where gay people are gay. It seems like gay men mostly. You never hear about uh, homosexual women actually meeting in uh in these parks in these situations so it seems to be a gay man thing if i'm wrong about that uh perhaps some of our lesbian lady listeners can call and clarify have you ever met someone in a park bathroom or anywhere in a secluded area of a park 1-800-259-9231 because it's just fascinating to learn about how how things work in in this culture that i'm not very familiar with you know men men tend to be more the, the especially younger single men with high testosterone tend to be the hit and run type Thing and I think right. if you put two men together, then it's double hit and run. Right, you don't have really the the hit with uh, lesbian sex either. You know, right. there's not the, the it, it doesn't yeah. the work quite the same way. So, you know, I'm sure they want to spend a little more time with each other or whatever. That makes sense. So yeah, here's an entrepreneurial idea for one of you uh, gay men out there with some capital at your disposal. Buy yourself a park. Make sure nobody can see in from the outside. And as long as it's private in that way, you can have all kinds of manner of shenanigans going on there. I, you would think that they would put Sell drinks. some kind of uh, r- room off the side of uh, one of these gay bars, but uh, it's probably that they would get inspected on a regular basis. You know? Yeah, I think the park, you'd be a little safer. And maybe you could also go with the private club kind of aspect where you can't come into the park unless you are a club member. Uh, it, and you can't be a member of the club unless you've been uh, referred by another uh, there you go. gay guy. Yeah. Isn't isn't that what that Bohemian Grove is all about? <laughs> really, you know? They get some young kid to run through the woods in his underwear, and then these old men with, with guns hunt him know. down through the woods, and, and the guns shoot pink bubbles. Sounds like fun, Wayne. Pops, yeah. I think you know too much. Let's continue. I heard. Dave is on the line in Ohio listening to WAIS. Dave. I have a question for you guys. Yes, I don't sir. know if I heard this straight or not, but you mentioned something last week about it possibly being illegal to charge over $45 or $40 a gallon of water. Don't remember no. mentioning that, no. I'm sorry. Well, well, I remember in the L.A. earthquakes that I experienced in 94, there were a lot of stories of shopkeepers jacking up the price of bottled water. This but is true. They only had so much. And and in those cases, yes, there are usually there are some law that will apply. The government people will pull out called like an anti-gouging law. And they, they at that point will then target businesses that the government deems is charging too much. But I don't think they have any set, set numbers because those oh. numbers will have to change year after year as the money supply inflates and inevitably 
prices will probably rise, though certainly some products uh, have gotten cheaper over time due to mass production okay, and other I factors. Imagining I heard it. Yeah, but it is it is a concern after a disaster situation, Dave, because uh, when the government people come in and they say, "I'm sorry, you can't sell that it at you know X price, otherwise we're going to shut your store down and arrest you," they're telling the business owner that he can't do business in the way that he is deemed appropriate, and they're telling the customers that they can't uh, you know that they're not smart enough to make their own choices about the products they buy in a situation like that. And Dave, thank you for the call tonight right, you, to point out a reason why yeah. business owners should be able to, and, and it, it's, a reason, it's a reason you sort of touched on, Wayne, why business owners should be able to gouge, as it is called, is because it prevents somebody from coming in and just buying up everything. Right. If, if, you, if water is in short supply or batteries are in short supply or whatever it is that people need after a disaster situation, and you've only got a few more items on the shelf... Well, if you raise your price, because you, you know you're going to have another shipment coming, but it's not here yet. So if you raise your price in the meantime, somebody can't just come in and say, okay, I need every single one of those bottles of water. Right. If, if somebody's feeling like there's a shortage of water, they could come in and buy all the bottles of water, and then there wouldn't be any bottles of water for anybody else. But if you got to raise the price, then they would think twice about it. Right. Yep. You'd only buy exactly what you needed, and you wouldn't buy too much. So it's okay. And, of course, if there's somebody down the street, you can always go there and see what their prices are like. And if that's not good enough, then get a bunch of water from some wholesaler and start selling it yourself. Quit complaining to the state. More coming up. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those, including live streams. We've got a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version. They're both free for you. And if you like Free Talk Live, what we're doing on the program... And you want to help us out? Well, shop with us at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Whatever it is that you buy at Amazon, Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. Used items, new items, 41-plus categories to shop in. Free Super Saver shipping on a whole bunch of items. Go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Read some reviews about the products you're going to buy. And then feel confident that not only are you getting the brands that you trust at a great deal, but you're also helping Free Talk Live by entering through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. So, uh, Mark, let's talk about the e-gold situation. We had uh, discussed it a while back. The executives of e-gold were under attack. Now, as I understood e-gold, I never had an account with them, so I don't really know too much about them. But it was a way to uh, to essentially buy gold and not have to have it in a vault somewhere in your house. Right. Yeah. Um, that it's the best I uh, understand of it. You can use it to uh, do transactions. Right, online. they lo- they could load it on a credit card somehow. Like I guess you could transfer it to U.S. dollars or something. I'm not sure how it all worked, but they had some ways to po- to pay for things with with eagle. I would assume that it, uh, you had a certain amount and it was worth a certain amount of money at that at time. a certain time. Yeah, right. that's a good point. So, interesting system, and it was pretty popular, from what I understand, amongst liberty-minded people. And, of course, as we've seen, as we talked about with the the Liberty Dollar, I think, earlier this week, once the Liberty Dollar got so popular that the feds couldn't ignore them anymore, they went after the Liberty Dollar and stole all of their money. I don't think Eagle had all of their vaults raided, but they've uh, had charges filed against them for money laundering and child pornography or something like that? Yeah, I you know the, the what I've read online is all I know about it and and I it I find it fishy. 
just the whole thing, but we'll, we'll, well see. If here. you want someone to hate you uh, or hate a, hate another person, mm-hmm. file a child porn charge against them. I'm t- yeah, I'm telling you, it's 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 the easiest way to take somebody down well, uh, for the feds. It could have been one of their customers was involved in that, but how would they know? Right. Well, that's what they're alleging. They're alleging that the eGold system is tailor-made for things like child pornography and other illicit online purchases. Well, there are several other similar services that haven't been rated yet, but the point is, why are they targeting the ones they have so far as opposed to the ones that they haven't? I don't know. Maybe the ones they haven't are run by congressmen or friends of congressmen. Who or, knows? Yeah, or they, or they uh, donated the right campaigns. Who knows? So, yeah, exactly. So what's going on here, Mark? What's so, the latest? From ARSTechnica.com, online payment service provider PayPal remains the target of a lot of online fraud and phishing attacks. But PayPal's reputation is pristine in comparison with the eGold service, which engaged in practices that apparently went well beyond sketchy. In, uh, its three directors have now re- uh, responded to charges of money laundering and unlicensed financial activities by entering guilty pleas in the U.S. District Court in the not good. District Court of um, District of Columbia. Okay, you think the they unli- made them a deal? Yeah, the unlicensed financial activities. That's that's the key one right there too. Is because of the war on drugs, the war on terror, so called. Um, of course, the more rapacious government becomes, the more they want to interfere in financial transactions and right. control every financial transaction because they want more and more money. And and that, to me, is the key to a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder what is an unlicensed fa- financial transaction when you when you use gold and silver to buy things. I mean, I, I wonder, you know, how far have they gone with this? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, um, you know, and obviously these guys felt like they weren't going to win this case. Although the, exec- like. the executives are U.S. citizens, eGold is based in Nevis in the uh, West Indies. Ever heard of Nevis? Nope. Me either. Sounds like a good place to do business. They <laughs> probably have vaults in foreign countries as opposed to Liberty Dollar that had all their vaults mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yep. Its business model involved a layer of abstraction between it and the traditional financial institutions. Don't know what that means. Local exchange services can exchange national currencies for gold-backed units of eGold, which is then traded um, internally or used for purchases at outlets that Accept it. A lack of controls allowed individual users to create multiple accounts. <gasps> Are you kidding? <laughs> Somebody could go to this bank and have more than one account? Okay. Allowing eGold to be used to hide large transfers of cash, enabling large-scale oh, no. money laundering. Oh, they're drug dealers then. But, what, what money? When they say money laundering, what they mean is... Monetary services provided off the radar. Right. The you know, they don't ask a whole bunch of invasive questions that the government wants yeah. uh, people asked about the money that they have. You know, an interesting point uh, that I just uh, was aware of recently was somebody was telling me that before um, in 1914, about 14 U.S. states actually opted out of the Federal Reserve System. And, and they didn't get sucked back in until 1986 with the Tax Reform Act of 1986. Hmm. So essentially, the banks in those states were operating that way. They could Interesting. do what they wanted to. So, in a free country, money should be should flow freely among people without sure. any without the government meddling in it. Right. And what their concern with money laundering always is is drugs. Sure. You know, if somebody goes out there and terror now, Mark. Right, terror. Well, of course, it's terror. Don't forget the immigrants. They might have to money. You know, launder. Well, right. Money they want to send coyotes. money, money, money home to their people yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, largely it's it's about drugs. And, you know, if somebody went out and earned money selling marijuana or whatever, as far as I'm concerned, they should be able to do whatever they want with it. But the government doesn't feel the same way. Despite its primary function as an exchange, eGold apparently decided that by managing transactions based on the price of gold, it was not acting as a financial institution. 
You know, these definitions and all that stuff. U.S. prosecutors disagreed and filed charges of conspiracy to engage in money laundering and conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting business Mm. and indicated three of the company's directors, excuse me, indicted three of the company's directors last year. The guilty pleas submitted yesterday could be very expensive. Mm. IDG is reporting that Douglas Jackson... Eagold's principal director could face a sentence of up to 20 years in prison along. See, this is the thing with the when you enter a plea, generally, you know what you're facing, not yeah, the could. That's true. I think it's different with different states, likely. Wow. Then they didn't get a deal then. I don't know. This is really interesting. If I'm they, wanted to, if they wanted to call every transaction that went through Eagold a uh, money laundering uh, charge, then they could charge them with the rest of yeah. their lives. So. They're getting some kind of deal. What uh, I know a lot of our listeners may, might be closer to this situation. I know that, again, from what I understand, the Eagle, at least one of their founders, is a pretty well-known, liberty-minded activist. And so I'm curious as to if anybody else has any insight as to why these guys pleaded guilty or what's going on behind the scenes here. Because this, this is just a news report about yeah, it. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's a sentence of up to 20 years in prison along with a half a million dollar fine. The other two directors face five-year sentences and $25,000 fines. The company itself may be on the hook for as much as $3.7 million. No company left at that point. Yeah. The plea agreement apparently involves eGold accepting that is a money transfer business which will require it to obtain licenses from the federal government and many individual states. To be certified, Once you do that, then you then they own you. Yep. To be certified, greater internal controls um, to be instituted, allowing transactions to be tracked and individual identities to be verified. Before facing sentencing, uh, Jackson placed a post on the company's blog in which he announced a new beginning. In it, he admitted failure um, to transition from the marginal player to the uh, for the early adopters to a respected institution integrated into the global financial mainstream. That transition apparently starts as, we acknowledge that eGold is indeed a financial institution or agency as defined oh, in U.S. law and should be regulated as a financial institution. Yep. Sounds like they're done for. Well, a lot, a lot of good registering a financial institution did. Look at IndyMac customers last week. Yeah, they're safe to protect it. <laughs> This is sad. Yeah. As a result, creation of new accounts is being suspended, and greater controls on existing accounts will be enforced through uh, through changes in the user agreement. Of course, that may be a bit late. Even Jackson admits Eagold's actions led to a self-reinforcing negative reputation, and that he and his fellow execs may be headed for jail. So... There you have it. The latest on the Eagold situation. I'm sorry to hear about that, and I wish them... I guess good luck. You know, it's it's really the question is, um, you know, do Americans have the right to transfer gold and silver back and forth with each other? No, apparently not. Without knowing each other's names. Do you have the right to uh, engage in a voluntary transaction uh, in regards to whatever you want to engage in, whether it be selling a marijuana cigarette or selling somebody a gold bar without asking who they are? I mean, this is just a, they did voluntary business with every one of their customers. Yep. Every one of their customers came to them uh, by choice. And they continued to do business with them by choice. No one was complaining about Eagold's uh, reputation as far as their transaction quality. They had business, and they continued to do business for a number of years. The only people that had a problem with it were the government bureaucrats because they weren't able to regulate the business. They were outside of their regulatory power, so they used their I wonder guns. how they were able to go after them if their companies registered in Nevis. They used men with guns to, I believe, pick them up when they traveled in the United States. It's, I, if I'm remembering the story correctly, 
Maybe I'm not. It could have been the gambling guys. Yeah, but... it seems like the gambling guys um, they picked up when they came to the, the country. I don't know. But either way, they went after the principals in this particular case, not the company so much. They yeah. just targeted the individuals. That's what it sounds like, at least. Uh, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Got any insight on the uh, the Eagle case? Would love to have you chime in here. And then we'll talk to you about obligations for the government people. Are they obligated to protect you? Well, we already know that's not the case. But can they be held liable if you get hurt because of what they've done? It's Free Talk Live. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney. Finalized the contract in London and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code 600 to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. WebEx.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231 as we launch here in hour number two of the program. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Coming up, a Supreme Court decision about government's liability in regards to your safety. But first, we go to Craig in Texas. Craig, you're on Free Talk Live. Craig? Um, hi, guys. Are you there? Yes, yes, sir. What's on your mind? Um, I want to say a few things about eGold. The first thing is I, I, I used to sell eGold in the year 2000. I went down there, and I met those fellows. Um, to set the record straight, they're some of the most honest people that you can imagine. They had a dream to make eGold a worldwide currency, mm-hmm. and they, it would solve a lot of problems that our current system has, uh, the primary one being that if you're in a third-world country and you're a merchant and you want to sell your stuff, you really can't compete in the world market because nobody wants your currency and the exchange rates are too high. But mm-hmm. if I had an Eagle account and you had an Eagle account, I could send the Eagle to you by just going on the computer and clicking it over. You could send me the product, and then you would, all you'd have to do is find uh, use that Eagle directly to buy what you needed, or you could find um, someone in your country that would take that gold uh, for your local uh, currency and send you the currency. Um, From what I understand, so, the, uh, the the original founder of PayPal, and I don't recall his name at the moment, but he is also uh, someone who's considered a libertarian, and he had a similar vision that his uh, service would be an alternative currency for the world to utilize. And once he got too popular, the feds stepped in and they demanded he uh, he be regulated, and that's when he sold the place. Well, I, I don't really uh, know that. I do know I had a serious issue with uh, PayPal, as many other people did in the early uh, part of this decade, in that they used to promise PayPal, we guarantee all PayPal payments are good, and they would go about freezing people's accounts when they just suspected there might be some kind of problem with the account, and, uh, and then they basically just confiscate their money. They wouldn't really uh, return it to them, and it was because they were having problems with fraud. 
because PayPal originally would simply take anybody's credit card number over the over the internet and let them use that as cash and when they would without validating the card at all. E-gold was a very decentralized system in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, the e-gold system itself um, it has no bank accounts. The e-gold company has no bank accounts. If you have a 400-ounce bar of gold, you could bail it into e-gold, and you could get e-gold for that uh, bar of gold, and you could do the reverse. You could bail out the bar of gold, but it had no bank accounts, and it required independent third-party uh, agents to make exchanges. And the idea being uh, it was very much like Western Union in the sense that you would they, they, uh, that when money was bought, when e-gold was bought, uh, verification identity would be required because the third-party agent wouldn't want to sell something as valuable as e-gold without verifying who it was. And when money was taken out of the system, you had verification too. But in, once it was inside the system, you could send it to pretty much anybody, and the accounts were not verified, and very much like Western Union accounts uh, in, the, in, the, in that regard as well. Hmm. So do you have any, when you said when you said you you used to sell eagle what what does that mean did you used to work for the company as a salesperson No nobody works for the company as a salesperson it basically means that I had an eagle account and if someone wanted eagle they would send me a check or they would send me a bank wire or they would send me PayPal for a while and I would send them eagle in exchange and vice versa at a basically a 2 or 3% profit and if I if they wanted to get a check from me for their e-gold or get a bank wire from me, they would send me the e-gold, and I would go ahead and process um, that payment for them. And this is how it basically worked. And one of the cruel things I think that happened last year was when they went to shut e-gold down, they couldn't do it. Uh, the U.S. government couldn't do it because e-gold is based in Nevis. It doesn't mean the company is based in Nevis. It means the company is registered in Nevis. The people are actually in Melbourne, Florida. And when they went to shut it down, all they simply went to basically every transaction, every third-party transaction service that was in the country that was buying and selling e-gold, and through civil asset forfeiture, just froze their bank account. So, mm-hmm. were you basically one of those? Shut. Were you one of those victims? No, I, I stopped selling e-gold in 2000. So I see was, profit margin just wasn't high enough. Two or three percent. Oh no, it, w- it was good. It's just that uh, the risk of fraud when you can't actually see a person is very high. There were, um, what kind of fraud is there, though? I mean, this is what I can't understand. I don't understand, and I don't do enough online to really understand how it, how someone screws with the bank accounts. But they send you money, you send them gold, right? Right, but you can't verify their money, and that's that's really the problem. You can't verify their ID. So their really check bounces. Now, the people who who are good at fraud want the most eagle, so they'll send you a check for fifty thousand dollars. Right. And you take it to the bank, and the bank says, "Yep, it's good. We verified that's off the account. It's a good check." And then you send them fifty thousand dollars. And all of a sudden, the account turns out that the check turns out to be a counterfeit check, and you don't find that out for two months later. And, uh, oh wow! And so, and so that's the problem. You really can't trust money except a U.S. bank wire. You can trust a U.S. bank wire, and a lot of people were going and just taking straight U.S. bank wires, um, you know, for for gold transactions um, back then. But so they I were, basically just became too uncomfortable with it. Yeah. So they, they were counterfeiting checks, and once you took a counterfeited counterfeited check, you were responsible for it, right? That's right. In fact, a lot of eagle operators made an awful lot of money in the past decade, and 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 I and a lot of people like me just said, "Well, it's really not worth it to me." You know, I should, mm-hmm. I could have done the same thing, but <laughs> yeah. What can you do? And is there any speculation on the owners and why they would plead guilty in this particular case? Um, I, I don't really know at this point. I know that uh, Doug Jackson has been fighting them for about three years now. 
mm-hmm. they came up with a charge originally that he was a, um, a money transmitting business, and he said, well, I know. You told me we're not. We're just dealing with gold. We're not, you know, gold is not money. You de- declassified gold as money in 1977. And um, he, he, he won that first charge against him. It cost him $800,000 in 18, 18 months. And then, like six months later, or, or in that time period, they came up with another charge. Well, you're aiding and abetting child pornographers by letting them use your site, knowingly aiding and abetting child pornographers. And I think that that uh, is what he's been fighting the past year. Wow. And, uh, so that's the best I can do. Some Thanks of the information for the... I've given you may have been maybe incorrect, but that's all, it's all based on my memory. And uh... It's the hell out of what we had. <laughs> yeah, Craig, thank you for the clarification. I appreciate the, uh, the new information and uh, definitely interesting to chew on this because if they want to thank you for the call also, if they want to ruin you, all they have to do is just charge you, whether all, or not it's it, a All good they have charge. to say is the word child pornography. Yeah, but the first charge didn't have to well, do with child porn, and he had to spend uh, $800,000 yeah. in 18 months to get rid of the first charge keep about being a financial you. institution. Yeah. So if you want to ruin somebody and you're in the government, then just keep slapping charges on people, and then they have to spend all their time dealing with your nonsense instead of actually running their business. And now they're going to jail, possibly, and that's just so sad. Let's continue and talk to Bill in Oklahoma. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Bill. Hey, guys. Um, pretty much uh, the last caller outlined it beautifully. Um, I guess I can just put a different spin on it. Um, the government is convinced or is is um, really trying their hardest to get everybody to believe in their faith-based currency. The dollar. Yeah. If if uh, uh, you know if there's no uh, other currency around, whether it's uh, you know there we, we we mentioned eBay, we mentioned eGold, but then now we got people trading Linden dollars on uh, Second Life mm. and and the alike. This is going to have a rippling effect. They're going to just start you know sweeping, doing a broad sweep. And right, because it, the propaganda is no longer uh, be is no longer effective as it used to be. In that people are starting to figure out that the dollar is, has been consistently losing value. They can certainly see it now more so uh, than ever. With the, the you know the gas prices being a huge indicator of that, uh, so people are starting to notice that the dollar is having problems. And you're saying that this is a these are these are essentially acts of desperation out of the part of the government to go and try to uh, to you know just destroy any viable competitor to their system. Exactly. And what's, what I kind of find funny is uh, here about a week or two ago, uh, it was announced that uh, Cuba was starting to uh, partner with, I guess it was Venezuela, uh, to get Internet access mm-hmm. in Cuba. And uh, people there are, are getting excited because it would be the first time, you know, since uh, Fidel Castro uh, has left power. Uh, that they had access to the outside world. But now the, the, the government, the United States government, is getting even more scared because they were supposed to, all the, the citizens are supposed to not be bartering with Cubans. But, mm. uh, uh, but uh, what's going to end up happening is the, the merchants here in the United States are going to sell to anybody who's going to buy it. And the yeah. government just doesn't want that to happen. Yeah, they certainly don't. Great call, Bill. Thank you, sir. Appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. Of course, if we lived in a real free country, we'd be able to freely deal with whatever people around the world and whatever countries we wanted to deal with. But we don't live in a free country, as evidenced by, well, the plethora of evidence we presented. Some of us think so, though. More coming up. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. (laughs) 
This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features on the site we give away. So enjoy those, including the updates. Get signed up. And we keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Go to updates.freetalklive.com and get on the list for free. That's updates.freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. According to the Supreme Court, not only is the government not obligated to protect you, it is also in no way liable if you hurt yourself because of its actions, or rather lack thereof. The South Dakota Supreme Court, or both, ruled Wednesday that cities could not be held liable for failing to address known safety hazards on local streets. Because this conclusion overturns precedents set over a number of decades, the court allowed one last $3.85 million judgment against a negligent city to stand with the understanding that no such awards would be permitted in the future. So going against all sorts of precedent in this particular case, a jury has... The cities just can't afford it anymore. A, a jury had found that Rapid City should pay that multi-million dollar sum because it failed to post warning signs or install a guardrail near a canal at Canyon Lake Park that had been the site of nearly, or excuse me, of six nearly identical accidents in seven years. One of the most serious of these occurred in 2000 on December 27th around 9 p.m. Teresa Hitchcock, who at the time was 16, was driving the snow-covered street with Adam Holm, also 16, and a third passenger. As Hitchcock's Honda reached the curve, it slid off the road and landed upside down in the icy water. Hitchcock and the third passenger were quickly rescued, but Holm remained trapped underwater for several minutes. She suffered permanent brain damage. Excuse me. He suffered permanent brain damage as a result of oxygen deprivation. Mm. Now, Mr. Holmes' parents sued the city, claiming negligence, and Rapid City countered that it owed no duty to Adam. Listen to those words carefully. The city says it owes no duty to Mr. Hol- to Mr. Holm. Owes no duty to him. Well, how is it that it would have owed a duty to him in the first place? Well, if he was a citizen, he they would have because a citizen is a person who owes uh, owes a de- you know was a what duty is it? of allegiance, allegiance in return for an obligation of protection right. or something like that. Sounds right. So, uh, and of course, that would require some sort of ex- for that obligation and duty to actually exist. The idea of the citizen, there should be some sort of evidence of it. There should be some contract or some agreement that uh, both parties entered into. In other words, they owe you duty. <laughs> That's yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay. So, so these uh, again, you could argue, I suppose. That these young people did perhaps enter into a contract when they got the government driver's license, but clearly the government doesn't think so. Again, the government making it clear they owed no duty to Adam. So, I, think, I think it's peculiar that this happened right next to a park. You know, maybe, maybe they were distracted by gay guys frolicking in the park and they got in an accident. <laughs> It's I'm possible. glad you're so cavalier about these uh, 16-year-olds that were brain damaged here, Wayne. After evaluating <laughs> both sides of the argument, a trial court found that Rapid City had neglected its common law duty to maintain safe streets. On appeal, the state Supreme Court concluded that the trial court had interpreted precedents correctly, but that those precedents would now be thrown out for all future cases. And here's what Judge Zinter wrote for the court. 
Under our prior cases, we conclude that the trial court did not err in determining that the city had a common law duty to safely maintain its streets. Even if we were to determine that some vestige of the common law liability of municipalities survived, we hold that it was fully abrogated by the 1939 statutory revisions that eliminated the broad duty to maintain reasonably safe highways and confined counties and townships as well as cities and towns to the more limited duty to guard and repair highways that are damaged or destroyed. So apparently there's some ancient manuscript from 1939 that... uh, Whipping out a bunch of bullcrap is what they're doing. In June, the Ohio Supreme Court came to a similar conclusion in a case absolving local governments from liability or negligence, or excuse me, for negligence. This is a sharp change in direction, said a different judge in a concurring opinion. Almost from the time of statehood, cities have been liable under the common law for negligence in failing to maintain streets in a reasonably safe condition for the traveling public. He went on to explain the court's primary motivation for... Hold on, one more line here. Primary motivation for making the change was indeed, as you guys predicted, financial. He said, as society becomes more mobile in the last century with the increasing role motor vehicles played in every facet of American life, government officials struggled with ways to contain the costs of building and maintaining safe roads. They don't struggle with it at all. They just charge the crap out of us for our property taxes and then say that they're not responsible for taking care of the roads that they took the damn money for to, to take care of in the first place. I wonder if that if that happened to Disney World. If mm. Of course they'd be suing Disney, but sure. Disney, yep. Disney World's roads wouldn't be crappy or... or uh, there wouldn't be any negligence. Yeah, no one has ever had a problem uh, yeah, with, that, with that I know of beyond an accident with another car on a Disney World road. That's you know, right. They don't have I snow mean, there, though, either. They're not responsible for the roads. What if one of their, their bureaucrats leaves a manhole cover off? No responsibility. you have no responsibility well, at we, all. We already knew that the bureaucrats had no responsibility, right? Because they have sovereign immunity. So when a bureaucrat makes a mistake or Fs something up and it causes somebody to die or, in this case, have uh, oxygen deprivation, brain damage, uh, it causes uh, somebody to get hurt, they can't be held responsible for it because that's one of the perks of being a bureaucrat. You can do whatever the hell you want on the job, and you're lucky if you even get fired for whatever it was. Now there's an extra layer of protection in that the city itself has no liability. The municipality, the corporation known as the city of blank, wherever you are, has no liability for your safety. Now remember, the Supreme Court, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has stated over and over again that governments have no obligation to protect you, and now the uh, South Dakota Supreme Court has made it clear, as the Ohio Supreme Court has, and it's inevitable if this gets appealed up, that they're going to smack it down. It's just, you know, they're going to come up with the same uh, ideas at the Supreme Court. Likely. Uh, so there's no liability. There's no obligation. There's no liability. I'm sorry. There is no social contract. It's quite clear from their own evidence. Right. And, you know, and that, that's the first thing that people will trot out. In order to have civilization, you've got to have government. Oh, gosh. This is civilized. The government oh, yeah, can do right. whatever the hell it wants. It extracts money from you um, at gun. You know, at the threat of taking your house to maintain yep. these damn roads, and then they fail to maintain the roads, and then they're not liable for maintaining the roads people are dying here Mm -hmm. and it's just okay and then they change the rules supposed rules whenever they want yep you know they have no duty if you're out there defending this organization i sincerely hope it's not your son or daughter Mm. that it kills great point let's continue with your calls you can bring up anything adam in oregon you're on free talk live hello adam adam Oregon going once. Adam in Oregon going twice. We go unscreened to the amp line. Who's this? Hey, it's Sam in Texas. Sam, what's on your mind tonight? Sam, well, I wanted to uh, just call in and let the listeners know I'm not in jail. So. People were asking about that in the in the chat room over the break, so I'm glad yeah, you called. I got about a couple that. phone calls, so 
<laughs> you uh, better call in. You had the trial uh, trial scheduled today, and of course, as our listeners know, if they've been listening over the past several months, you've been calling to update us on your uh, sort of adventures in legal land as you've gone in to ask some very damning, important, simple questions uh, in front of the courtroom, and they did not want you to ask, the, uh, ask those questions. They banned you from the court. They would not allow you to bring a camera in, and they rescheduled a trial for this morning at 8 a.m., your time. You were there. And you'll tell us what you did here in moments. Hang on, Sam. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And you can bring up anything about whatever you want. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. 1-800-259-9231. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. The Sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those, including the wiki We've got over 1,700 pages created by listeners like you. Go and get interactive over at wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. We go back to Sam in Texas. He is on the AMP line. And, Sam, of course, you're from the Obscured Truth Network. People can go to obscuredtruth.com to take a look at your documentary, The Court of Public Relations, which is kind of what um, has been sparking the last several conversations between you and us, uh, the rest of us here on the program. Uh, you've been going back and forth to various different, a uh, couple different courthouses there in Texas uh, on different speeding uh, speeding tickets and attempting to just get some simple questions answered about the nature and the cause of the proceedings that you're being subjected to, apparently to completely without your consent, even though the their own rules say that they have to have uh, certain things covered, some bases covered before uh, you can enter a plea or the trial can go on. They've just been blatantly ignoring their own rules and blatantly ignoring them with a camera present. And you've documented um, much of this. You're coming, as I said, the Court of Public Relations is your first documentary. You're going to be coming out with a, a follow-up. And so people will be able to see even more of this damning footage. But uh, we've been following kind of the case here uh, on a nightly basis as you've continued to go back to court. And this morning was your most recent incident. What happened this morning, Sam? So I went in for trial. Now, they've made it perfectly clear that there's, they're not going to allow me to have a camera in the court, uh, and they're willing to initiate force. In the last uh, two days back, they were actually pushing me as I was just trying to walk into the courtroom with the camera. So uh, I think that's battery. I'm not certain, but they've, they've made it clear. And I've had kind of taken the stance that I'm just I'm not going to pay this because I don't want to, you know, continue the cycle of violence because that's really what's happening they're going to take my money and go and spend it to oppress somebody else and and jam this stuff this system down somebody else's throat too and crush them as well it's true Uh, so i i kind of went um i i I did some soul searching i guess it would be a good way to describe it talk to some folks uh family friends you you and uh Jason Osborne and some other people, Michael Badenarik, he's actually driven without an ID. I believe he still does. Really? Uh, and, has, and has fought a lot of court cases, and he gave me some really great insights. And 
just kind of confirm that yeah, this is the way the courts are. They don't care about their own rules. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't have integrity. Um, and I started thinking about it, and I think the thing that finally pushed me over the the line was realizing that okay, through all of their time dealing with me, they've spent far more than one hundred and ninety dollars. That they're demanding in this case. Yeah, that's. I I, I gave up on my case against the uh, the town of Westmoreland, but that was one thing that sort of made me. Yeah, I did. I, I, you know, I was the 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 penalty was far higher than I was willing to pay. But uh, the the what it made me feel better is they probably spent my grand that they uh, you know got in in property taxes on that lawyer. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the thirty jurors that I saw come in, if they were paid twelve dollars for the day. That's over $300 right there. Mm. And I didn't see any coming in this morning. Um, and that, that's what kind of made it okay for them. This was a negative, so I actually reduced the amount of harm. They're able to go out and cause other people. Um, so that, And then the other thing was, of course, realizing that these people are uh, – winning is so important to these people that they're willing to violate their oath, their sworn oath, their integrity, their honor, their principles, to be right about $190. It's, it's really, it's to be right, period, mm-hmm. about their system, about their laws, and if they have to break them, they don't really care. So, so true. So you, so what did you do this morning? I went in um, just to pay the, the ticket uh, at 8 o'clock when the, when the jury trial was scheduled that I didn't request or anything. Uh, I just went up to the clerk's line. I think the sergeant or the, the superior officer had, was in as the bailiff that day. As soon as I walked in, he's like, Mr. Dotson, get over here. You don't wait in that line. You need to come over here. And I just kind of looked at him like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> the VIP treatment. <laughs> they know, I, you know they, I don't have to introduce myself anymore. They know me by name. Man. <laughs> um, I had my camera with no battery and no tape in it. Uh-huh. to see just how nuts these people were because they had told me the day before that you know even filming anywhere in the building was now against the law okay it's funny how the laws so just are interpreted to suit them you went in to give up but you still brought the camera yeah okay why not <laughs> why not I, they I, wanted wh- to arrest me for filming in a courtroom with a camera that doesn't have a battery or any tapes should be interesting to see so you pay. So you paid the fine in this particular case um, to make this go away because, well, I mean, I don't know what Michael Badnarik said to you, and I'd like to hear what uh, what it was that uh, that he shared with you. Again, Michael Badnarik, the former Libertarian presidential candidate from 2004. Uh, so you went in to take care of this that way they wouldn't put you in a jail cell, which you thought they they might very well do. Uh, well, uh- what I was more afraid of, actually what I responded to this police officer with that yelled at me when I was in the clerk's line, is I'm not going in that room with that violent man back there. He is out of control, and I'm not going to do it. I'm here to pay. The judge. And that's Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's when all of a sudden within two minutes I saw him scurrying back and forth with uh, – case paperwork files mm-hmm. and i think they're like oh good we're gonna get rid of them <laughs> <laughs> so i finally get to the window you know there's three people that took about 20 minutes and um they the guy slips out a plea form for me to enter my plea and i just look at him like you've got to be kidding me i'm not entering a plea. i'm here to pay <laughs> and then the court manager comes up behind him and he's like you will sign the receipt right and, uh, <laughs> And I said, yes, I will sign the receipt. 
And so then he's like, it's okay. Don't, he doesn't have to sign. So <laughs> didn't he tell you at one point though, because uh, didn't he tell you that you had to pay or that you, excuse me, that you had to plea? Yeah. The, the, the clerk guy did. He's right. like, well, you have to enter a plea. And I just looked at him and that's when the manager stepped in. And he's like, it's okay. No, he, he doesn't, doesn't have to. Have to. <laughs> right. You didn't enter a plea, but you so, paid, the, you paid their extortion. You should have said, Hey, how about half? <laughs> just to see what would happen. I'll bet you they'd have taken That's, half just to get I you out of there. I done that, Mark. That yeah. would have been awesome. All right, let's talk. You want me out of here? What's it worth to well, you? Well, now, wait a minute. Now, you do have two other... Ti- don't you have two other outstanding tickets at this point still? Yeah, so let me get to that. Well, let me just point out, though. Basically, so what's happened here is um, the judge in pretrial entered a not guilty verdict. I never changed that. I never went back into the courtroom, and I never uh, entered any kind of a plea. So they have a case with a not guilty plea, but and and getting their money is more important than actually, you know, following their own rules. Right, I agree with you on that. But likely, what they did, Sam, was just fill out a plea for you after you left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which again, do you think that's a valid way to do business, Mark? I do not. No, no, no. Why don't you see if they'll buy your house from you and get rid of you completely? That'd be nice. i got to get some foundation work done first. So what was it that uh, Michael Benarek shared with you that was persuasive to you? We talked through – I mean, I, told, I explained what was going on. He gave me just some background from his life, from some of the struggles that he's gone through and some of his experiences. And it just showed me that, yeah, I'm dealing with this group of people that, that – Winning is is the most important thing. Being right about the way they – what is it, Mark? What is it about the government people that makes it so important to have this government around that they're willing to just violate people's rights? It's power. It's the aggregating of power. It's an attractive drug it's, it's for these people. It's more than that, Ian, because the, the average citizen who doesn't really get power from government, they still believe, they still think that we got to have government. I mean, even well, my own mom says – The PR is that good. The, the what? The PR is that good. Yeah, they've got their public really relations good. people everywhere. I mean, the the courts are public relations, the the teachers are public relations, and so these are people that have been. And the media is essentially public relations. They nothing. They don't do more than just parrot uh, government press releases. So. Americans and people around the world are hit from all different angles throughout their entire life with this message that we need these people. If it weren't for the government courts and their rules and their laws, and it would be crazy. It would be chaos. Hang on, Sam. We're going to bring you back for more discussion here and uh, talk about the other two tickets because he's still got two more outstanding speeding <laughs> tickets. What his plan uh, is going to be to deal with those. Maybe he'll try the negotiation tactic. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. <laughs> This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. That's 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free on our site, so enjoy those, including archives. If you've missed a moment of the program, just go click and download. An entire year's worth of the show is free right there on the front page of the website at freetalklive.com. We go back to Sam in Texas. Uh, Sam, you are back on Free Talk Live from the Obscure Truth Network. You can go to ObscureTruth.com to 
see Sam's excellent documentary, Critically Acclaimed, The Court of Public Relations. Uh, everybody that is sitting in this studio right now has seen it and uh, loves it. And uh, people that are brand new to Liberty have seen it, and they've been entertained and informed by it. So I think you've done a really great thing here. And it's actually, I think it's eclipsed over 3,000, actually over 4,000 views already now on YouTube. So if you've yet to go and see it, uh, you definitely should see it and then pass it on to some friends because it's really an eye-opener. And, uh, Sam, you were in court this morning to try to make this go away because you were concerned that this judge was going to put you in a jail cell. And at this point, you know, that's not really the best place for you. I mean, you're, you're, you're out there. You're doing really great work, and somebody's got to edit those videos. And as you said to me, I think this morning, you're not going to be able to edit the video from your jail cell. So. Yeah, and that's what, talking to Michael, really, I think one of the other things I came around to understand, it's like, okay, I can do more good out here exposing these people for who they are. And that's kind of one of the other things that really pushed me along. The main thing was getting past the spending money to, to oppress other people. It just violates my principles. But once I was able to shift past that and realize I've, they've spent a lot more than that, I've actually reduced the amount of harm they're able to do that is what let me go in and pay. Plus, the uh, the 190 bucks was well worth the footage that you got. And, oh, yeah. I mean, this was this is priceless stuff, uh, getting these, these uh, surly bureaucrats being mean and uh, just reacting negatively to simple, understandable questions that you were trying to, just trying to ask the judge in court. Uh, but there's two more of these tickets outstanding. What are you going to do with those? You're just going to go pay them off, or are you going to kind of push it for a little while and then pay at the end, just like you did with this one? I don't know. I've got some options here. Um, I did just get in the mail today a new pretrial arraignment. Now, if you remember the last time I went back, this is the other court with the two, two tickets in it. Um, the, they wouldn't let me in with the camera. The court office, the police officers, well, they're not police officers because the, the police officers swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, and this guy wasn't sure that he was there just to uphold the judge's orders or just to execute the judge's orders, and mm-hmm. that's it, and later said he didn't care about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and all that stuff. So these are just his personal armed thugs that uh, follow his orders. Right. Um, what they did, basically, I filed that appearance bond, um, and since they, marked, they wouldn't let me in the courtroom, he had his personal armed guards keeping me out because... You know, one man with a camera is, is just too dangerous for the state's court system. Right. Their their legitimacy is so thinly veiled that they can't even withstand that. Mm-hmm. Um, they mark me as a no-show. And I don't know if they're filing charges for failure to appear, mm. and they're going to bring that case or not. Um, I'm guessing, though, that they have helped themselves to my appearance bond and basically stolen it because I was there. Um, so there's $250 that they've just taken, and they just went ahead and scheduled me for another one. And I guess they're willing to just keep doing this to, to protect their system. They're willing to just throw my life away indefinitely until I either give in and submit to their, uh, you know, their rule over my life and my, uh, my person, uh, or uh, I go to jail, I guess, for a long time on all of these repeated charges. You had asked the question earlier. You know, people hate banks and they hate corporations, and no bank and no corporation is going to do this crap to you. Certainly not. Never. 
Never. Except for a municipal corporation, which is what they are, uh, or that's what they claim to be. So Just gang members. Right. That's exactly what it is. And things will change, though, Sam, when you get up here. Um, here to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, where 20,000 liberty-loving activists of all stripes are moving here, or will be moving here, in order to get active for liberty, things are a little different here. The dynamic is different here, because it's not just you going into a court all by yourself and hoping for the best. It's you going into court backed up by at least 10 other activists who are willing to help out in, you know, whatever reasonable ways are possible for them to help. And what we've seen has just been a pretty simple uh, sort of thing where people have uh, just stayed seated when the judge enters the courtroom. Something that's very Mm -hmm. simple, very easy to do, but yet also very powerful to anybody that's, that's watching. And we've seen some amazing things happen with just a very small amount of activists getting out there and, and actually helping out. We've seen people who have, and I know you know all this, I'm telling the other listeners, but we've seen people who have, uh, for instance, one guy pulled a U-turn where he wasn't supposed to pull a U-turn, and nothing has happened to him. The judge let him walk out of court that day, and n- there was no punishment even specified for it. The other guy was driving without uh, a government registration, and the judge gave him a what was called a suspended fine, which which means that as long as he isn't arrested in the next 30 days or whatever, then or 90 days, then he wouldn't have to pay the fine. And so the guy without government registration walked right out of the courtroom. And these two things happened with uh, just a, six to ten activists present in the, the, the audience area. And those numbers are only going to grow as time yes. goes by and more and more people are attracted up to New Hampshire. Which really makes you wonder what it's going to be like. I mean, if you come up here, Sam, and you do the same things that you've done down in Texas, how different will things be if they're done here with the activists backing you up? We've yet to see what's going to happen because, as you've shown, as you mentioned, their their veil of legitimacy is so fragile. Uh, just already, even one man with a camera threatens it uh, to such a distinct uh, amount that they feel like so threatened. They're so frightened by you. What's going to happen when there's 10, 20, or a hundred people that are going to back you up. How will that change things? And you, I, I'm not. I won't share this, but I've got ideas as to how those activists cannot just uh, view the, you know, come and attend the, the court hearings, but even participate if they're so inclined. Sam, don't you think this is just a classic case of mission creep? You know, the courts were were set to basically protect us from each other from uh, resulting in, in force or fraud. And their their mission has morphed into this this all encompassing police force where they get you for everything they feel like getting you and they shake you down for whatever they want to shake it down for revenue it generation. Really is. It really is Wayne because that's the thing I came in to point out to these officers that look you swore an oath to do this you said you're going to uphold this document and here I am asking you to uphold it and to protect my rights as you were instituted to do and they lack the courage to do that because. The system has grown so out of control for them to do that. A, they'd probably get fired, mm-hmm. uh, and B, they would have to go in and what arrest the judge. Is that what you? The, yeah, they're going to do that. Really believe that the bailiffs are going to go in and arrest the judge, right? Even though they're perfectly, you know, acting within the law to do something like that. In my case, yeah, Who's not, they're, they're not going to do that. Right. <laughs> So the system's broken, and there's no fixing it. It's just showing people, look, this is fraudulent. Why are we still, why do you still believe in it? Why are you still going to government to solve problems for you? Because they're incapable. Right, and on top of that, as we mentioned right before your call, not only are they incapable of solving problems, but also they're completely, uh, they have no liability for the uh, the problems that they create 
and they also have no obligation to provide you with anything, even the most remedial of government services. They have no obligation. So there's no contract with these people whatsoever. It's just a gang of people using force on their neighbors. Right, and the, the only uh, you know the only thing they can fall back on is well, it, 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 it's the law. And the law was set up by people that were democratically elected. You might have not been born at the time, but it's the law anyway. You're born and under these the rules that these uh, democratically elected but officials made. But it's not the it's not the law. It's their interpretation of the law. Because even if you flash their own law in front of them, they could well, give a flip. Right? It's their interpretation of the of the law. But basically, their interpretation of the law is the law. Do you understand? That's right. That's right. how... Like that's, Judge Dredd. Yeah, the, I am the law. That's, that's how <laughs> silly their whole system is. Right. Look, blue is red. If I say it's red, mofo, you know? And, and, <laughs> so, if you don't like it, we've got a cage for you waiting right over here. Right. That's it. But I don't yeah, think... So, I don't think it's so frustrating to go in and, and, and point this out and see these people just blindly ignoring the facts and, and their duties and... And, and still stand there and expect people expect me to believe that they're honorable and they're they have integrity. I mean, it, it, I I got this pretrial notice and I haven't talked about this, but it's stressful. I mean, it, it's hard. I, yeah. I come home today and I I slept for four hours because it's draining physically, emotionally, and mentally. It really is. It's tough to go in and do this stuff. I and bet it is. I get, then I get this pretrial letter in the mail and it's like. Great, they just stole $250, and they've probably filed on another charge, and they're so right, they're willing to just do it all over again. So, you know, I wandered around the house for an hour, just upset, trying to calm down, and eventually I realized, you know, I I really should focus and just keep showing people that... Here's well, who these people are. It'll be. I, I I hope it gets easier on you when you get here to New Hampshire because you're doing amazing work, and I don't certainly don't want to have you burn out, uh, but so especially new, before you get here. So we're really looking forward to uh, to helping you out video, when you get here. Ian, uh, there, there'll be a Ooh. new video out within 30 minutes or Ooh, so. You tease, you tease. All right, <laughs> Sam. Thanks for the call tonight. Appreciate it, and good. Uh, keep keep up the great work, man. You're doing an awesome thanks. job. Hour three's on the way. This is Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line as we launch here into hour number three of the show. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free on the site, so enjoy all that on us, those other talk show hosts, they don't. Are they? They want to charge you money. They want to charge you up to like seven bucks a month. Some of them do for access to their sites. Ours is free, and we've got more stuff. So go to freetalklive.com and enjoy. Let's go to your phone calls about what you want. It's Adam in Oregon trying him again. Adam, you're on Free Talk Live. Adam, Oregon, trying for the second time. Gone. Let's try Tom in New Hampshire. Tom, you are on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. 
Yeah, uh, good evening. Hey, uh, some time ago, you discussed the Baker Act, which is a law down in Florida. Yeah. Yes, and that allows people to be uh, essentially thrown into a psychiatric ward for 72 hours based on nothing more than an accusation from another person, I believe. Well, you know, it had, I, they need, uh, I think, a professional. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Well, anyway, a person can talk to a professional and get it done. Gotcha. Okay, now, uh, as it happens... Uh, the uh, cops went and took a 47-year-old gentleman uh, in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Deputy. Uh, they went there and they took a guy uh, to uh, the Bridgeway Center. And, uh, he had been uncooperative when he was taken to the Bridgeway Center. Okay, deputies picked up uh, Rollman Monday afternoon for an involuntary examination under the Baker Act. He had been uncooperative when he was taken to the Bridgeway Center and transferred to the Fort Walton Beach Medical Center, where he later escaped. Uh, okay. okay. Now, uh, deputies found Rollman and took him back to the hospital, but not before he, the man kicked out a patrol car window. Okay. <laughs> wow. Early Tuesday morning, deputies learned Rollman had escaped again and barricaded himself in his childhood home. Hmm. Okay. In his childhood now, home? Did it no longer belong to him? <laughs> his childhood home, well, his dad had passed away and left the house vacant. And so he went there. Hmm. And uh, the uh, special response team and the crisis negotiation unit tried to talk to him. And uh, then here comes the fun part. Hmm. Okay. The SRT and negotiators got no further. This is 6 o'clock a.m. Tuesday. The SRT and negotiators got no further response and went into the home about 6 a.m. Tuesday. Oh, boy. Rollman shot... Sheriff's Deputy Anthony Forgione, mm. who was later pronounced dead at the Fort Walton Beach Medical Center. Deputies returned fire, and Rollman died at the scene. Mm. Tragic. Okay. Now, now, Rollman was killed by enemy fire in combat on the battlefield. That's <laughs> not suicide. So he goes straight to heaven because resistance <laughs> to tyrants is obedience to God. The they could have just left this guy alone, right? I mean, what what would they? Why did they call him into the uh, Baker Act in the first place? Uh, it, uh, I don't know. Maybe his papers were not in, in order. Uh, but in any case, see, if somebody guns down a cop in that situation and lives to tell about it, remember, here's the way to look at it: if he was crazy, then they have to say not guilty by reason of insanity. And if he wasn't crazy, why were they trying to bring him to the mental institution? It, you know, it's all a very interesting. Crazy, he had every right to uh, open fire. And, and now uh, we'll so, never know. Yeah, I don't think those cops had any business going into that man's, uh, you know, if, if it was his father's uh, had died and, you know, likely he was uh, somewhere, he could make some kind of claim to that house. They didn't have any, any, any reason to be going into that man's house as far as I'm and, concerned. They were trying so, to help him, Mark. They were trying yeah. to help him. So they shot him to death? So no. that one is, uh, joins the one that was taken out on April 4th of 2004 in Asheville, North Carolina, take, trying to take a guy to a mental institution. This is what it takes to just say no to drugs. Thanks, Tom, for the call tonight. Appreciate by hearing the way, from you. Can I, hmm? huh? You're still there. Uh, I was interviewed today by the Telegraph's editorial board. They, oh, because uh, you're running for uh, U.S. Senate, right? That's right. That, that's Nashua Telegraph, or, or what they used to be called, but that's 
the daily paper around here in New Hampshire. And, uh, mm-hmm. So I should be in tomorrow's edition. Hey, great, very good. Well, okay. uh, let did us know. You, did you goes. say anything? Uh, you know uh, that they would that, that we that would be particularly interesting and newsworthy. Oh, I never talk about anything controversial. You okay. know that. Okay, go. good. Okay, Thanks, go. Tom. Good luck. Eight hundred two five nine. 9231, totally unnecessary deaths. Neither of those two people had to die. And the cops, they didn't have to be there. They could have left that guy alone. If he was actually harming another person, well, okay, then arrest him and charge him with the what you need to charge him with. But he, uh, we didn't hear anything about that. They went and Baker acted him, which yep. usually doesn't mean somebody, someone is doing damage or, or harming another person. Generally, no. More mission creep. So 800-259-9231 is the number for you, and you can bring up anything. Let's talk about Ron Paul for a little bit. We haven't talked about old Ron Paul in a while since he dropped out of the Republican presidential race, although some have suggested he only suspended his campaign. So maybe if old John McCain has a heart attack or gets disqualified because he wasn't born in America, maybe old Ron Paul will come back at the last minute. But that doesn't seem likely. That all said, what is going on with his campaign, Wayne, or what remains of it? Well, from StarTribune.com out of the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota area, planned Ron Paul rally blossoms into three-day mini-convention. Supporters of Republican presidential candidate Ron Paul have ramped up plans for a local counterweight to the GOP's national convention in September. Not content with a planned rally at the University of Minnesota's Williams Arena on September 2nd, the Paul forces now plan a three-day rally for the Republic that will climax in a 10-hour extravaganza at Target Center in Minneapolis. They sure go big when they go for it, don't they? The they do. Well, you know, it, I, it, when they, when you go big, it it shows that uh, you know there's a lot of people behind you. There's a lot of money there. They believe strongly in what they're doing. So I, I'm I'm for going big. Yeah. So they came up with the idea of an alternative convention at a time when thousands of journalists will already be in the Twin Cities area, which and thousands of journalists will likely completely ignore, ignore the alternative <laughs> convention. But it's a good idea. That's I right. like the idea. And in addition to the Target Center rally, the the three-day event will include volunteer training, meetings, and a book signing by Paul. We're not just looking at this November, Stebbins said. Stebbins is the organizer. There's 2010, 2012. The Republican Party is not a barge that you can turn around in a single year. Several conservative activists... That's right. We need lifetimes, several lifetimes to retake the Republican Party (laughs) and finally win liberty back for the rest of America. Look, I like what these people believe. I like most of what they have to say, for the most part, about Mm -hmm. liberty and freedom. But I just don't don't agree with the methods. I think it's a big waste of money and time and effort. But if they want to keep pedaling on that particular, you know, uh, bicycle, or I guess not bicycle is not the word, like uh, if they want to keep... Treadmill? Treadmill, that's Um, the word. If they want to keep going on that treadmill, then they'll figure it out eventually. And in fact, the Free Staters will be there, from what I understand, doing more outreach to the Ron Paulites to help them understand that there is no future in national politics and they should come to New Hampshire and get active here. And by the way, for anybody who wants to go, uh, the tickets do go on sale this Friday and they cost $17.76 a piece. Cute. I, you know, I, I, it is for the whole I, weekend. That's pretty good. I, you know, I'm I'm yeah. for what they're doing. I, you know, I'm, I'm I can't say that I'm not. I just I'm sort of like you. I'm I'm burnt out and uh, disappointed, and it it seems unlikely to me that anything's going to get done on a national level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to me the only thing that could you know the, the only the only answer that makes any kind of sense is secession for the state that I'm in. Good luck with all you other uh, people yeah. in all your other states. Get out while the getting's good. I think that most, um, you know, most of these uh, Ron Paul supporters, you know, some of them, 
Uh, some of them are just, you know, they, they won't move. For, you know, they're, they're willing to support Ron Paul from where they are, but yeah. so, their roots are so firmly planted wherever they are, they won't move for the Free State Project. And the others haven't heard about the Free State Project and don't really know um, much about it. And some of them may believe that it's not going to work or, you know, the skeptical, that kind of thing. Of course. But so. that said, it's a great group of prospects for the Free State Project to be out there talking to. And so good on them for going out and doing that. So a weekend-long uh, counter-convention almost and I wonder, what's the expected turnout for the Republican convention? Does anybody have a, an idea? Like, what was it in 2004? I don't have a number, but they're saying it'll be lower than 2004, last I heard. And didn't, I, didn't you also mention, I don't know if it was on the air or off, but that this is the biggest venue in the, the area? Yes, it is. So it's bigger than the Republican venue? I guess the, the Republican the venue is in St. Paul. Oh, okay. At the XL Energy Center. I got the impression it was like down the street or something like that. I guess I got that wrong. And this is in Minneapolis. Well, the Target Center. Minneapolis, St. Paul is pretty much the same area, though. Yeah. It's the same, Twin same cities. Cities, yeah. But the Target Center is a big place. Toll free number here is 800 259 9231. We also haven't uh, heard anything from Paul Craig Roberts in a while. And he is a, uh, I guess, I don't know if he'd consider himself a former Republican, but he's got a thing or two to say about the Republicans. More coming up. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features on the site we give away, so enjoy those on us, including the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who have sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com and see what it's all about. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. If you're remodeling your kitchen or bath, now you can purchase knobs, poles, and faucets at wholesale prices and support a business that supports Free Talk Live. You can save 10% on your order by using code FTL at checkout. That's internobs.com, I-N-T-E-R-K-N-O-B-S.com. They have friendly service and wholesale prices for knobs, poles, and more at internobs.com. If you're going to buy poles, check with internobs after you've gone to, you know, the big stores and all that other stuff. You're going to get them. Uh, you're, they have everything there, everything that you can need, and you're going to get more cheaply. Use code FTL to save 10%, 10 additional percent. 1-800-259-9231. By the way, we were talking with Sam from the Obscure Truth Network a few moments back in hour number two, and he did mention that a new video will be posted shortly. It is online on his website at obscuredtruth.com, so you're going to be one of the first to uh, catch that if you go there now at obscuredtruth.com. And we go back, or not back, but to the phones. We talked to Manuel in New York. You're on Free Talk Live, Manuel. Hi, good evening, guys. How are hey. you doing? Hey, doing great. What's on your mind? Well, I was talking... I was- I wanted to talk briefly about, um, you know, in the market, you rarely see places that are co- totally congested most of the time, especially in the most important times of the day. But, yeah, when it comes to road, we get just the exact opposite. You know, I think that especially, you know, in large cities, I realize that, you know, there's some millions of people living there. But still, you know, it's just isn't it sort of weird that after decades you still have, you know, if you want to go from, like, the suburbs of uh, – uh, Northern Virginia and Maryland to the D.C. area. It's going to take you hours and hours, and it's all it's just it's just a mess. But you know, in the market, I, I don't think if you had a market for roads, it'd probably be a little different. Maybe you would have a different pricing structure. Something would be different. But well, that's ro- that's true. But the markets didn't create the the roads in these cities. They were centrally planned, and they encouraged oh, course, uh, life in the suburbs, basically, because yeah, they encouraged yeah. the use of cars. 
which is probably a bit mercantilist. They were helping the oil companies and whatever other industry, like General Motors, for example. Uh, but really, that's not the most efficient way to live, is to live far away from a city and have to commute in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But that's, uh, that's one of the unintended consequences of central planning. Yeah, that's right. You know, as you say, it's just it's just more than just the roads. It's you know, the, the whole the whole layout layout of the cities. You know, all the subsidies and taxes, and you know where the houses are built and where. So it's it's just a mess. Yep. Well, as the bureaucrats said in the case earlier, where the Supreme Court in uh, South Dakota made it very clear that they have no liability for any problems you encounter on the road that might result in you being harmed, they said they have no duty to you. So they have no duty to expand the road system. They have no obligation to provide you with decent roads to drive on. You should be happy, citizen, that you even have a road to drive on. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I guess I have to be glad that at least we get a little bit, you know, and, and the thing is, with a marketplace, the roads would be able to expand as necessary. If businesses wanted to get more people to them, they could invest whatever money was necessary to expand the the road structure in order to make that possible. And they would have it in their best interest, if indeed that was what their interests were, uh, to expand capacity to do it and to get it done quickly and to get it done efficiently. But if capacity expands for uh, for the government roads, the government uh, roads, uh, their owners or their the controllers, the bureau Democrats that make these decisions, they have no vested interest in this uh, game. They don't care if it takes 10 more years to expand the roads out from there. In fact, many road plans take 10 years in order to actually complete. And, you know, they have no interest whatsoever in being efficient. They have no interest whatsoever in uh, in making anybody happy. So, of course, we're stuck with the same crap-ass roads we've had for the longest time. Yeah, and the prices are incredible. I don't know if you've heard about this project going to Massachusetts. They're trying to build like some sort of tunnel or road, and it's costing them billions. And, you know, and you know everyone pays because you're a taxpayer, even if you don't use it, or if you don't use it as much as the average taxpayer. So everyone gets injured here. It's terrible. Yeah, there's been a lot of federal funds involved too, which are all of our money. Even if you don't live in Massachusetts, on the Big Dig, for example, is that the one you're referring to? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, the Big Dig. Yeah. You know, and and uh, we've we've had people on the air suggest that well, you have to follow the rules of the road. You signed a piece of paper that said you would when you got a driver's license, but they're making me pay for the roads. I mean, I'm obligated to pay for these damn things, and uh, you know, of course, I've been coerced into signing this piece of paper so that your thugs won't come out and and drag me off uh, the, yeah. the first time they stop me. So, Manuel, yep, did you call to, to extortion? So, did you call to just complain about the roads we have, or do you have a solution? Like, what do you think? How can we get from where we are today with this government-controlled road situation to a true uh, situation of private property where roads are indeed privately controlled? Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm not sort of a road engineer, but, I mean, I think, uh, you know, just telling people about it, I don't know, I mean, on one side, you can tell people just to avoid, um, you know, getting driver's licenses if they don't want to, you know, I don't think they should, of course, but, you know, building an entire road, I mean, it might be possible, and and try to compete, uh, or at least make a make a make a statement. I think that would take a lot of capital. I think to actually build your own road, you'd have, you know you'd have to acquire the property first in order to build that road. It could be done, but it would require a lot of capital. I think what we should start it, we should start small because right now, at least here in New Hampshire, with the activists we have, we don't really have. Uh, while a lot of people have entrepreneurial ideas, they may not necessarily have the capital to back them up. And I think that if you started small, for, for instance, with maybe a company or some sort of charity 
or whatever, however you want to organize it, that goes around and fixes road problems before the government can fix them and takes contributions from people or something like that. Some sort of, I mean, that's just a real basic idea of something that could happen to where you could show people, look, we're out here doing this and we're doing it better and we're doing it cheaper. How about you spend some of your money on us, take some of your property taxes and send it over this way and we'll get these roads fixed and we'll get them repaired in, you know, half the time and for half the cost that the government people did. That way they'd actually have some real tangible successes they could point to and maybe something they could build off of into the future. How do you feel about that? And he's gone, I guess. Bye, Manuel. 800-259-9231. In my town, idea. In my town, you can uh, go to the road, uh, you know, the, the, the road crew office. And mm-hmm. if you see a pothole, you can go to the road crew office and get some of the patch stuff that they have and go fill it yourself. Get out of here. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, you know. So it's a, it's a it's a little town and and I you know these things are easier to handle in little towns. We don't have a fire department eating up our uh, uh, tax mm-hmm. money. We don't have a police department eating up our tax money. And you don't even have a cop. There there's no cop. No there's there's a constable which <laughs> no. is an elected position. Now wait a minute. If we need the government here to protect us and without the government then we're going to have chaos. Why is it that there aren't people just going all robbing houses and it's, stuff? It's not an entirely you? fair, um, uh, you know, a comparison if you're saying that there is no cop. Yeah, but it's in my not town. like there's a cop that's going to roll by and see something going down. There, which it it may very well uh, because there are, you know, there, there's usually three uh, state police, if not more, on duty at any time in the county. Uh, yeah, but they're pulling over in. people for speeding. You know, that people suggest. But I that, live on a highway. Yeah, but people suggest, Mark, that the presence of the police is an important factor. In reducing right. crime. And, and there's generally a cop present somewhere in the ne- immediate vicinity of there's my town. There's a cop in the county somewhere, but there's Usually no cop. Usually in my town, because they like to hang out that, there. You're telling me that having one armed man in a car somewhere in the county is enough of a presence to scare away these would-be criminals from uh, from robbing and plundering? Uh, all I'm saying is not an Pretty entirely absurd. fair it shoots scenario. Some, it shoots some holes in the claim that we need cops all everywhere. There's an island uh, that I was at in uh, the Caribbean that has no anything on it except for uh, you know the, the residents. There's, there's like three or four hundred residents. No cop They're at not all. Killing one another. If you, if you have a killing Raping? situation, you can call one from the neighboring island. More coming up. You bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for three dollars a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy all that on us, including the updates and live streams, bulletin board system, and more. We give it all away at freetalklive.com, so enjoy it all on us. And if you want to help support the show, then vote for us. Please go to vote.freetalklive.com. While we are currently in first place, the podcastalley.com voting competition that they hold monthly there we are only in first place by something like 13 votes so we really need to shore up our vote count for the rest of the month to make sure that we finish out july and uh with the the number one position and hopefully we can start august with a bang and stay number one all month long but we need your help and if you've yet to vote in the month of july you are qualified go to vote.freetalklive.com it'll only take you a moment you only need your email address and it's free 
Go to vote.freetalklive.com, and we would appreciate it very much. Paul Craig Roberts. We've read some articles by Paul Craig Roberts before in the past. It's been a while since we've shared one with you. He's been busily cranking them out, though, I can tell you that. He's the former assistant secretary of the U.S. Treasury and former associate uh, editor of the Wall Street Journal. Also was, uh, again, involved during the Reagan administration and was a Republican. I don't know if he still considers himself a Republican, but he certainly has a few things to say about them. About the Republicans, yes. I want to hear it. He says, this from LewRockwell.com. Republicans are sending around the Internet a photo of a cute little boy whose T-shirt reads... The mess in my pants is nothing compared to the mess Democrats will make of this country if they win November 2nd. One can only wonder at the insouciance of this message. Are Republicans unaware of the amazing mess the Bush regime has made? It's impossible to imagine a bigger mess. Republicans have us at war in two countries as a result of Republican lies and deceptions. And we might be in two more wars, Iran and Pakistan, by November. We've alienated the Seems enti- like they're trying. We've alienated the entire Muslim world and most of the rest. In fact, he uses the term we here quite a bit. I'm going to attempt to replace it with they. Okay. Because it's them that's doing these things, not Paul Craig Roberts or any of us here. The dollar has lost 60% of its value against the euro, and the once mighty dollar is losing its reserve currency role around the world. The Republicans' policies have driven up the price of both oil and gold by 400%. Inflation is in the double digits. Remember, the government's own numbers are around 9% now, from what I understand about inflation. Wow. Well, not the core rate. is what they quote on TV all the time. That's around 4 Oh, really? Yeah. I, I heard something was at 9 That's the one where they take out uh, housing, uh, energy, food. Uh, food. <laughs> I mean, everything that you need, that, that, you know, it's just mm. that most of your money spent on, they take that out. Complete joke. So the Republican economy in the 21st century has been unable to create net new jobs for Americans except for low-wage domestic services such as waitresses, bartenders, retail clerks, and hospital orderlies. Republican deregulation brought about fraud in mortgage lending and dangerous financial instruments which have collapsed the housing market, leaving a million or more homeowners facing foreclosure. The financial system is in disarray and might collapse from insolvency. The trade and budget deficits have exploded. The U.S. trade deficit is larger than the combined trade deficits of every deficit country in the world. And the U.S. can no longer finance its wars or its own government and relies on foreign loans to function day to day. To pay for its consumption, the U.S. sells its existing assets, companies, real estate, toll roads, whatever it can, uh, whatever it can offer to foreigners. Republicans have run roughshod over the U.S. Constitution, Congress, the courts, and civil liberties. Republicans have made it perfectly clear that they believe that our civil liberties make us unsafe, precisely the opposite view of the Founding Fathers. Yet Republicans regard themselves as the patriotic party. The Republicans have violated the Nuremberg prohibitions against war crimes, and they violated the Geneva Conventions against torture and abuse of prisoners. Republican disregard for human rights ranks with that of history's great tyrants. The Republicans have put in place the foundation for a police state. Some would argue it's already a police state. I'm confident that the Democrats, too, will make a mess, but can they beat this record? We must get the Republicans totally out of power, or we'll have no country left for the Democrats to mess up. I say this as a person who's done much for, or as much for the Republican Party as anyone. I helped to devise and to get implemented an economic policy that cured stagflation and brought Republicans back into, the politi- into political competition after Watergate. 
If I could have looked into a crystal ball and seen that under a free trade banner, Republicans would enable corporate executives to pay themselves millions of dollars in performance pay for deserting American workforces and hiring foreigners in their place, thus destroying the aspirations and careers of millions of Americans, I never would have helped the Republicans. If a crystal ball had revealed that the neo-conned Republican Party could launch wars of naked aggression against countries that posed no threat to the United States, I would have shouted my warnings even earlier. The neoconned Republican Party is the greatest threat America has ever faced. And let me tell you why. How many Republicans can you name who respect and honor the Constitution? There are Ron Paul. He actually includes Bob Barr here. And who else? I, I, the ranks of Republican constitutional supporters... Jeff Flake is uh, you know, rated pretty highly by the uh, Republican Liberty Caucus. I, I'd say he does pretty well. I'd, I'd say all of them uh, have their, their, their downfalls. He says the ranks of Republican constitutional supporters quickly grow thin. The reason, that, the reason is that Republicans view the Constitution as a coddling device for criminals and terrorists. Republicans think the Constitution can be set aside for evildoers and kept in place for everyone else. But without the Constitution, we have only the government's word as to who is an evildoer. Right. And this would be the word of the same infallible government that told us Saddam Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction that were on the verge of being used against America. The same infallible government that told us that Guantanamo prison held 770 of the most dangerous persons alive and then after stealing five years of their lives, quietly released 500 of the 770 as mistaken identities. Republicans think the United States is the salt of the earth, and that American hegemony over the rest of the world is not only justified by our great virtue, but necessary to our safety. People this full of hubris are incapable of judgment, and people incapable of judgment should never be given power. Republicans have no sympathy for anyone but their own kind. How many Republicans do you know who care a hoot about the plight of the poor, the jobless, the medically uninsured, the government programs that well, Republicans... Well, I think that, that uh, citizens that call themselves, you know, you know, the average folks that call themselves Republicans, they care a great deal about these things and try to help those people. If you're talking about Republican politicians, I don't know that many Republican politicians. All I, I know is by their actions, and by their actions, it looks to me like they... Uh, they just want to stuff money in their pockets and, you know, abuse their power. He says, I have yet to hear any of my Republican friends express any concern whatsoever for the 1.2 million Iraqis who have died and the 4 million who have been displaced as a result of Bush's gratuitous invasion. Many tell me that the five- and six-year-long wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are due to wimpy Americans who don't have the balls it takes, puts that in quotes, to win. Killing and displacing a quarter of the Iraqi population is just a wimpy result of a population that lacks testosterone, according to these people. Real Americans, according to them, would have killed them all by now. Yeah, uh, the, you, you hear it all the time. Is I, I don't know how to solve this, uh, this, this problem that we have in the Middle East, so let's kill them all. I mean, sick. I, it, it, it is sick. It's the most disgusting thing. Well, Who are these people? people? And they're voting? Macho patriotic Republicans are perfectly content for U.S. foreign policy to be controlled by Israel. Republican evangelical Christian churches teach their congregations that America's purpose in the world is to serve Israel. And these are the flag wavers. You know, I'm fine that Israel gets to do what it wants in the Middle East. I think that Israel is a sovereign country that should be able to do what it wants. And, and I think if we left the Middle East, which is we don't belong there at all, that Israel would probably mop the floor with those people because we no longer had them on a leash. That's my opinion. I don't know. But that's their issue to deal with, not mine.
Neoconservatives such as uh, Billy Crystal insist that loyalty to the, to the country means loyalty to the government, and thus criticizing the government for launching wars of aggression and for violating constitutionally protected civil liberties is, according to neoconservatives, a disloyal act. In the neoconservative view, there's no place for the voice of citizens. The government makes the decisions, and the loyal citizens support whatever those are. In the neocon political system, there's no liberty and no democracy and no debate. Dissenters are traitors. The neoconservative magazine Commentary wants the New York Times indicted for telling Americans the Bush regime was caught violating the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act by spying on Americans without obtaining warrants. And note that neoconservatives think it's a criminal act for a newspaper to tell its readers that the government is spying on them illegally. More, A little more here from Paul Craig Roberts. And then your calls to wrap things out here. Fred on the line. Andy and Will, your calls here all coming up. Take control of the airwaves, even in these remaining moments. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. It is your show. Only moments remain. Enough time for your call. If you make it now at 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. If you like the show and want to help us support Free Talk Live, you can become an amplifier. Just go to amp.freetalklive.com. Get signed up for as little as three bucks a month. It's money that we take and reinvest into the show, getting on more radio stations around the country and bringing more Internet listeners to the message of freedom and liberty. So if that's a good thing, you like that, then help us out by going and getting on board with the AMP program at amp.freetalklive.com. You get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in lines, chat room forum, and more. The details are all there for you at amp.freetalklive.com. A few more words from Paul Craig Roberts, and we continue with your calls. He is tearing the Republicans up, and he's a former Republican. He's somebody who worked in the Reagan administration. So it's not like you can just say, well, he's just a Democrat and he hates Republicans. No, he's and been everything watching. He says, and everything he says, uh, you know, just, it's true. He's been watching very carefully what has happened, and he is ashamed to have even been involved with these people before. And as he points out, I mean, he agrees the Democrats will make a mess, too. But the, how could they possibly do uh, do worse than this administration? I, I suppose it could happen. But, but by worse, you mean markedly worse. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it, it depends on your perspective. True. As to, Things will get worse because they'll build on what's already bad. Right. So it's going to be worse in four years either way. Yeah, the, the, looking back now, the Clinton administration was like a walk through the park. Oh, yeah. Clinton was like Thomas Jefferson compared to these guys. Don't tell yeah. that to the people in Waco. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Right, right. I mean, we're, we're just comparing here. Anyway, uh, judging by their behavior, he says, a number of Democrats... Uh, number. A number of Democrats go along with the neocon view. Thus, the Democrats don't offer a greatly different profile. They want, or they went along with the views that corporate profits and the war on terror take precedence over everything else. And they've not used the congressional power that the electorate gave them in the 2006 elections. People yep. elected Democrats in mass to change things and to, you know, do something about the war, and they've done nothing. Well, the new the presidential candidate uh, here for the president uh, for the Democratic Party voted for this FISA nonsense that uh, just. Just went through last week you know, and, mm. and gave immunity to the telecoms. And he's talking about war with Iran, too, right? And more troops in Pakistan. Not war with Iran, more, more, more troops to, in Afghanistan. From what or I understood, he, he yeah. said there was no, no options that have been taken off the table as far as Iran is concerned. He may very well have said that, yeah. but I don't Which know. Which means he's willing to kill people. 
kill children, kill grandmothers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, however, as, as a politician, you know, right. as, as the president, you have to be willing to kill people as, to get elected around here. However, Democrats, or at least some of them, do care about the Constitution. If it weren't for Democratic appointees to the federal courts and the ACLU, which is, as he says, an essentially a Democratic organization, the Bush regime would have completely destroyed our civil liberties. Some Democrats are bleeding hearts who actually care about suffering people they don't know and who think that we have obligations to others. Have you ever heard of a bleeding heart Republican? He says, traditionally, Democrats objected whenever policies resulted in a handful of rich people capturing all of the income gains from the economy. And there might still be a few such Democrats left. Looking at the Republican mess, I doubt that Democrats, try as they may, can equal it. Though, maybe we'll find out four years from now. And, you know, really, what's the damn difference? There really isn't that much of a difference between the two. And to suggest that one party or the other is going to do anything right. at all to clean things up in Washington it's exactly how It's exactly how do you want the country to deteriorate into, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a husk of what it was. Do you want it to deteriorate? A fascist husk? Right. Or, or, or a socialist, socialist husk. husk. Really. That's right. what, what do you want? True. And you know something I, you hear from a lot of Democrats, they say, well, we want to repe- repeal the Bush tax cuts. Well, Bush didn't really cut taxes. He just changed the composition of the taxation. He went to more inflation versus more uh, uh, and less over-the-board taxation. But he's actually increased our taxes a great deal because of inflation. Let's go to uh, the, hidden, the hidden, the most invasive, the insidious. worst, most insidious tax. Let us go to the phones. Talk to Fred in Kalispell listening on KGEZ. Hello, Fred. Uh, hello there, gentlemen. Hey, what's on your mind? Um, I could have Paul Craig Roberts' pension. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be very, 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 very rich. Yes, you would. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's nice for these guys to start complaining about government after they leave government, after right. they get that pension. But you guys keep on talking about the free market. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm sorry, we have not had a free market in this country. Ever. Starting, it started to shut down under the 14th Amendment, 1868, and it's been going downhill ever since then. Then you had, you, I mean, you, if you owned a business, can you hire who you want to hire at that business? No. Because of why? Because, uh, well, well, you, you know, can among, among other, yeah, among other things, discrimination laws. You can hire because who you want. You just, well, you can hire who you want. You just have to be careful. Fred. Affirmative action was a result of the 14th Amendment. You know, and all that, all that stuff is all part of the whole scenario. Is it's 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 shoved down our throats for years, and people are buying into all this garbage. Well, it's actually you were saying last week, yeah, or a couple of days ago, that your property taxes in New Hampshire are five thousand dollars a month, I mean, a year, a year. Yeah. What do you live at? What do you live in at? A million dollar home? Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand dollar home. Yep. That's pretty optimistic under today's market. Yeah, it might be worth maybe one seventy five, one eighty. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that's awfully high. Who are you sure. paying with all that money? Bunch Where's of bureaucrats. All that money going. Well, take into consideration that Ian lives in the highest tax town in New Hampshire. Um, you know, he he decided when he was going to take on the bull, he was going to take it on at the, uh, at the horns, and he moved into the highest tax town. Second highest. In, Berlin is the highest. No, no, that's the, the highest, highest rate. Tax. But Does it Berlin's have the biggest uh, amount of government employees. What, no, I'm sorry. Just a second. Let me finish uh, what Ian said. Um, that's the highest rate, but the property values in Berlin are nothing. They're in the tank. That's yeah. true. So what were you saying? I'm sorry, Fred. I mean, are the, does it have a huge amount of government employees in that 
in that area. They must. Live? I don't know, man. I don't the know. The money's going somewhere. Well, in New Hampshire, there's no st- uh, sales tax or income tax, so the property taxes, a portion of them go to the state. So the state has all their pet projects and their their uh, universities. Not and that much goes to the state. I mean, it's 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 something like five well, percent. Going to schools. Five million. Going to schools. Yes. Well, about sixty percent goes to the schools. Yeah, about, they, they so. dump a lot of money into schools yeah. here, and they still. Well, stink. here in Montana, ninety ninety uh, percent of your total school budget goes to salaries and uh, salaries and benefits. I bet ninety percent of your total school budget goes to salaries and benefits. That don't leave much for the children. No, it doesn't. Uh, nope. it's, it's surprising when you think about buildings. Uh, is there are there separate funds for buildings? Because buildings cost a lot. Books don't cost much. Yeah, they seem oh, to get it's all they, part of the budget. They seem to have to get separate approvals for uh, for new buildings and things like Here. that. Well, they get levies. They get that kind of crap, and people buy into it. But when I keep on saying it, ninety percent of your school budget goes to salaries and benefits. Yeah. Yeah, those people are very highly paid. Well, it's they retire twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Fabulous pension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I'm awful. Sorry, it's all garbage. Yep. Then you say about the stores. Then you say about private businesses running, building our roads. Well, where are they going to get the money to build the roads? They'll have to jack up the prices of everything they sell in order to get the capital to do the things you're saying. Well, well they, no, already, they already pay high prices. Uh, you, know, you're, you already pay their taxes included right. in uh, their, their costs. Those so. businesses are already paying the most property taxes of anyone in the entire That's city. Right. And so they are already, you're already paying They're those taxes. already paying the roads. If Likely anything, the roads would cost less to correct. build because the government wouldn't be involved. So if anything, prices would go down as a result no, of them lowering their trouble costs. Because they would dictate, just like here in Montana, if you have a private sector, say you have a government sector that goes to private sector. They dictate what salaries you have to pay. They dictate what benefits you have to pay. I'm sorry, you don't have a free market. You're, you're right. There, there isn't a free market. We're, we're only arguing for a free market, Fred. We're not saying that there has oh, ever I been one. I know what you're saying, and I love the idea of a free market. Well, that's it's what crazy. we need to get to, and the only way we're going to get there is by people no, non-cooperating with these government goons, because they sure as hell aren't going to f- hand you a free market on a platter. No. You're going to have to stop paying those property taxes and stop cooperating with their damn system. And until people get the courage to do that, nothing's going to change. Fred, thanks I for agree. the call, man. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Let's go to unscreened call. Here on the amp lines. Uh, hello, who is this? Hello, going hello. once, going twice. Speak up. Let's try another line. Who's this? You're on the amp line. This is Free Marketeer from New Hampshire. Free Marketeer, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm just wondering what you guys think about factions and uh, how that relates to the success or, you know, not success of the Free State Project in New Hampshire. Factions? Like what? Yeah, factions. Well, like, um, well, uh, you know, in, 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 in James Madison's paper, you know, Federalist Number 10, he talks about political factions, and he says that, you know, there are basically two ways to control factions, uh, that, that you can basically get rid of them uh, by removing the causes for the factions, mm-hmm. you know, basically by, you know, just uh, making moot the point by which the factions banded together in the first place. I don't know if I understand quite what you're getting at, and we're really short on time. When you say factions, what are you referring to? Well, a faction, uh, it's a group of people. Right, but which which factions are you talking about within the Free State Project? In the the context of the Free State Project, uh, it's people that have banded together politically to achieve a certain political goal, which is more liberty in our lifetime. But not all Free Staters are political. We can remove those causes. To get rid of the to get rid of the faction, or you know, in James Madison's views, we can control the effect. 
of the causes that... You know, you'll uh, have to call back maybe tomorrow and talk about this a little bit more detail, because I don't know if I quite understand, because the Free State Project has, from what I understand, different factions. It's not just a political movement, as you suggested. It's also... A, a, there are also a number of Free Staters that are apolitical, and they're working in the marketplace for change. I don't know if that's what, those were the factions you were talking about, and that's why I'm unclear. So call us back tomorrow. We'll talk about it more. It has been Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. We'll be back tomorrow night. Join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. For those of you who uh, are listening now, we're uh, doing something very unusual. We're recording a an interview with uh, an author, and we normally do all of our stuff live, but uh, this, this was so special, I wanted to try something different. And we often do special things for our podcast listeners and in hopes that we can, you know, get some more and have them listen longer and that kind of thing. So this is an interview about a book that I read. It, it would just it just came in. I get books sent to me all the time. That's you know, one of the perks of being a radio talk show host is you get books sent to you. A listener sent it to you? No. Oh, uh, okay. This is, you know, it's an, uh, a publication company sent gotcha. me the book. And uh, normally, I'm, you know, I look at them or, and I'll read the back cover or something like that. I feel obligated to do something. I suppose that's why they send them to you, to make you feel obligated. But this book... Yeah, just just the uh, the the byline on it here. The um, a rousing tale of techno geek rebellion. I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be something that's gonna really go well with my listenership. You know, I got mm. a younger listenership, uh, certainly very internet savvy. So I I uh, started reading it, and to my surprise, the author of this book, even though he never mentions the word and rarely mentions the word liberty, and um, you know, it's it, doesn't doesn't exactly throw around the word freedom. The author of this book's a libertarian. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, the book is Little Brother, and kind of like a play off Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's like Little Brother's watching, and it's by Cory Doctorow. So I go finding out who this Cory Doctorow guy is, and sure enough, he's uh, one of the bloggers at Boing Boing, and uh, oh, that's a big website. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big one, and uh, Craphound, which is uh, you know another one of those uh, you know news uh, sites, I guess. So Cory, uh, tell me about uh, some of your websites real quick. Welcome to Free Talk Live, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. So Boing Boing actually started as a print zine in the 80s and um, migrated to the web around 2000. I've been uh, the co-founder, editor, owner, whatever you want to call it, uh, of the web stuff uh, now for about seven years. There's four of us who write on it. Um, depending on who you listen to, it's uh, the 11th most popular website or the fifth most influential or the third most. It is the website whose statistics are most interesting to me, first most interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> and Craphound is just my, my, my personal website. Uh, I'm a science fiction novelist. The first short story I sold uh, and had published in a professional market was called Craphound. So it's just where I, I keep my uh, information about upcoming appearances and so on. Um, but uh, Boing Boing, uh, we have about, I guess, about 3 million unique readers a month. And um, we sell advertising against the readership, and we write about technology, culture, politics, and anything that amuses us. Why is it that people go to Boing Boing? I mean, I just I, I've taken we've we've read stories um, from Boing Boing on the air, and uh, you know we read all kinds of stories from all kinds of different places. And um, but you know why is it that people go there? What's what's special about Boing Boing that makes it uh, so read? question. I, I mean, I guess the short answer is um, people like our editorial taste. And I think that um, the thing that characterizes stuff on Boing Boing, 
um, more than any other criterion. Is it stuff that just excites us personally? Mm -hmm. And that's really different from traditional publishing or radio or TV, where where, where you have stuff where there's an incremental cost to uh, to production. So you know, to get into a studio right. or to to fire the printing press, it costs something. So generally, those things kind of start with. Um, I wonder if there's an audience out there that someone wants to advertise to and what they're interested in. Let's see if we can make that. Yeah. And and the difference with, with Boing Boing, because Boing Boing just didn't cost anything to run for the now, five or six years until we had well in excess of a million readers where we started to notice the bandwidth bills, um, that, that uh, the um, – what we were able to do and, and what we continue to do is just write about the stuff we care about in as much detail as we feel like for as long as we're interested in it until we're done. And that gives a kind of eclectic, very personal feel to the site that I think is endemic to what makes great Internet media. Um, and it's, it's you know, I don't want to use words like genuine because I think that there's a lot of genuine um, genuine emotion and genuine passion and commitment to people who make stuff uh, with an audience in mind, but there's a kind of personalness that comes when you make stuff that's just for your own benefit and for the benefit of anyone who thinks about the same stuff as you, as opposed to trying to figure out what other people want. You know, I have to agree. There's a lot of people out there putting out genuine blogs that uh, appeal to them, but for some reason, people don't read those. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess you know, my taste and the taste of my co-editors are uh, more more cognizant with a bunch of other people. I mean, I think we do some other stuff pretty well, too. I mean, we have good taste, but I think we also, we write well. And um, finally, I think the thing that we do that's, that's the best advice I've ever, uh, I have for bloggers, really, is um, we write headlines and leads as though the people reading them have no context at all. There's a real temptation when you write blogs to, to try and write, especially your headlines, like a newspaper headline writer. So, you know, you think of some of the classic newspaper headlines, like on September the 12th, the San Francisco Chronicle ran a headline that just said bastards and like 200-point <laughs> type over, over a plane crashing the building and, you know, won all kinds of awards. Uh, but it's, it's a lousy search engine result. Right? Yeah. It's a beautiful newspaper cover and a lousy search engine result. If you're seeing that as like an email subject line or a search engine result or in an undifferentiated feed of thousands of RSS items, it's just it's just it's just meaningless. So uh, what we try to do is write these incredibly plain, not at all witty um, uh, subject lines that actually work pretty well. Um, they they encourage people to come to the site um, and and read about stuff because they know what they're going to find there, not because they've been intrigued by a, a a kind of obscure subject line or obscure lead. Yep, well that makes makes good sense to me. Let's talk about the book. Well, yeah, let's. Uh, Okay, uh, I'm going to first off make uh, my uh, recommendation here, um, give my endorsement of the book. This is the most important book I've read in the last decade. And when damn. I say decade, I mean my whole damn life. This That's is the deal. best book I've, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, not best. I don't know about best. I, I really love Seawolf by Jack London. This is the most important book for you to read. If why? you are a libertarian and you believe in liberty. I have not read it. Explain to me why that is. Um, because this book is, uh, it, it details, you know, how it's going to happen. What is what's, going what's it? You know, like... The sort of how the the the, the, the clamp of the state the the clamp is going to come yes it's going to show that <laughs> it's to some extent not entirely the dismemberment of the state but you know who's going to do it and how they're going to do it and you know it, uh, how liberty rests in the young people not mm. the uh, not the old guys who are writing uh, articles but uh, you know the young people that uh, you know know t uh, technology intimately. Um, 
Corey, what do you got to say that one? <laughs> well, it's very kind of you to say so. It's, it's really nice. I, I mean, you know, for me, I wanted to do a bunch of different things. One was I, I wanted to help kids get back in touch with what technology meant to me when, when I was a kid. You know, in 1977, I was six years old. My dad brought home a terminal connected to the mainframe that he was working with. Hmm. And, and I just started this love affair with network computers that never waned or, or, or wavered. And what happened was that every year, the next generation of computing technology gave me more power, more freedom, more agency, more control over my life, the ability to join communities and get access to tools and ideas that, you know, rich, powerful grown-ups would have spent their whole lives chasing without ever getting half the success that I was just by plugging a modem in. And I think that if you're a kid today, you've got a really different experience of technology. I think kids today rightfully see technology as uh, systems that control them, that spy on them, that snitch on them, and that are basically designed to keep them from having all the liberty and 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 uh, uh, all the the, the the agency and self-determination that's characteristic of being an adult. Uh, and so I wanted kids to start thinking about how they could take back control of their technology, and I also wanted, to, wanted them to start thinking about um, uh, politics and uh, the debate over security as something that has real importance to them, even though they don't get a vote in this election for the most part, uh, the, 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 the target audience for the book, they're going to inherit the results of the outcome of this election. And so I wanted them to start thinking about how if they don't get involved with politics, politics will get involved with them and they need to take an interest. And then I also wanted to do something kind of um, – uh, in terms of, of uh, uh, what literature means, um, we used to have this this great literature of kind of subversive activity taking back the world. You know, when I was a kid, I spent endless hours peering at books like Steal This Book and so on. Mm. And those those books, which were kind of it was kind of best thought of as a compendium of facts, right? A, a compendium of things that you can know, were really useful in the pre-Google era. But but it's the 21st century now, and knowing stuff isn't nearly as important is knowing what stuff there is to know. And so it, that's a really different kind of book, a book that tells you what you can expect of the world and what you can make of the world if you ask the right questions of the Internet um, is one that isn't best suited to being a collection of articles organized in a hierarchy, but one that's instead presented as a narrative about people doing stuff. Uh, and so I wanted to do both of those things. And then lastly, I wanted to write a book that was a techno thriller where the technology mattered. So you go and you see like a, a Tom Cruise, you know, Matrix Impossible movie, yeah. and, and you see th these movies that were made by like hundreds of people who use computers every day, from the guy who wrote the script to the editor who cut the final cut of the film, and, and all these people use computers all day long, and yet they're willing to make a movie in which the computers just don't act like computers, right? Like, I've never seen a computer that emitted a soft chirp every time a new key, a new key press was made, or that went yeah. type appeared on the screen, or where email addresses didn't uh, ended with the symbol. I mean, I think that, that technology is actually awesome and interesting and thrilling, and that you can write really good techno thrillers where the technology behaves like real technology. You know, you wouldn't write a novel about horses where the horses could fly, but we write novels today about computers where the most important computer in the system is a mainframe, right? If you go into the average business that still owns a mainframe, it's there because it's running the least important, oldest, cruftiest legacy code that nothing uh, of any real significance is still connected to mainframe in our minds today should conjure up a vision of something you know the size of an office building with the power of a pocket calculator yeah. not you know the, the sexiest target on the network 
<laughs> I have to agree. You know, the thing about the the book is, and it, it was beyond me as far as the technology entirely, and I suppose that it's meant to be, right? It's supposed to be on the edge of technology. And you're a fellow sort of with the uh, Electronic Freedom Foundation of sorts, right? Frontier Foundation. Sorry. Yeah, the EF, Electronic Frontier Foundation. And, uh, you know, obviously they're out there trying to protect freedom on the uh, uh, on the Internet. And But you said that it was the, the book was targeted at young people because I'm, I'm a 37, and I wouldn't even call myself a spry 37. I'm just <laughs> – and I felt like the book was uh, entirely motivating, and I felt like it spoke to me. Certainly it was about a young man, but, you know, I was, I was one of those ones. Well, I guess there, there, there are a couple of things that make this characteristic of, of – literature that's targeted to young people it doesn't mean that it, other people can enjoy it i mean you know uh, a a large plurality of my favorite literature was written for young people and there's a, bio, a bibliography at the end of the book that actually talks about some of those books like daniel pinkwater's uh, alan mendelson the boy from mars which is you know an amazing book uh, whether you're an adult or a young person but um the 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 couple of things that make this characteristic of young person's literature uh the first is that it, it explains stuff, and that's um, not characteristic of contemporary uh, young person's literature. You know, if you if the, the received wisdom today is that kids don't want to have stuff explained to them. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I was reading these amazing kids' books like, you know, Heinlein's How Spacesuit Will Travel, which yeah. are really long expository books with some narrative thrown in to keep the action moving, but that were really about kind of putting a, an arm around your shoulder and going, look, kid, this is how the world works. And I might disagree with a lot of what was said, and even then I disagreed with a lot was, uh, with a lot of what was said in those books. But I loved having a book that I could be in dialogue with, that I could use to figure out at least how some people think the world works. And then the other thing that I think makes this a, a young person's book is it's a book about young people who are experiencing life as young people do. And I think the state of adolescence is the state of doing things for the first time over and over again, of stepping off a cliff and trusting that you're going to land safely. So one day you're a person who's like never told a lie of substance, and then you're someone who has. Or one day you're someone who's never done something noble for a friend, and then you're someone who has. And and you're never the same person again after you've done that. It's like a, a series of, of losses of innocence or of virginity or of, of, you know, kind of leveling up in the game of life. And as a result, Everything that happens in a young person's life is filled with a kind of drama that isn't really there anymore once you've, once you've kind of gone through adolescence because you're not taking those risks anymore. Now you know what the outcome is, so it's not risky to do that stuff anymore. I hear you. I'm, 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 I'm just going to have to disagree, Corey. I think that this book's for everybody. Um. <laughs> well, and I, I, as I say, I think that young adult literature is for everybody. That I, the, you know, the other thing about young adult literature is it doesn't have a lot of explicit sex, and you've got to watch the F word. Oh, uh, that's but apart fine from that, I, I think that the best young adult literature is well enjoyed by adults. I think that people toss the F word around, uh, you know, r- rather cavalierly anyway, and... Uh, you know, so <laughs> no big deal. Um, and, you know, the explicit sex, it's not like I'm getting into that, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, right. you, you just had a baby recently, didn't you? I not you. Speaking of explicit sex, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have a five-month-old uh, daughter named Poesy, and she is delightful to teeth now and uh, and uh, learning to preach with delight when I when I pretend to be a dog and go rawr and, and run at her. And, and really about as adorable and interesting as... as um, you know, twenty-four odd pounds of blubber can be. Yeah, well, that's that's a uh, it, it's it's a wonderful time in life having a baby. Uh, ours came in uh, March, so um, congratulations. Thanks very much. Anything else you want to say about Little Brother to our audience? Because I, um, my recommendation is to everyone get this book. I don't care how you get it. Don't you have uh, some way to get it on the on the, on the internets or something? 
Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I should mention about the book. Uh, the first is that this book, along with all the other books I've written, pretty much, with the exception of, of a nonfiction book I wrote years ago with someone else, um, every every book I've written is available online as a free download under a Creative Commons license oh, wow. the same day that it's available in stores. Uh, That's you know, amazing. The publisher is yeah, well... You know, as Tim O'Reilly says, uh, my problem piracy is obscurity, right? Of all the people who fail to download one of my books today, the majority of them do so because they've never heard of it, not because <laughs> someone gave them a free book. And, you know, honestly, what am I going to do if someone wants to distribute my books electronically? Am I going to sue them? Am I going to try and stop them? Am I going to try to get the food coloring out of the That's funny because we were just talking it, we were just talking about this very issue last night on the air and the idea that you know if you spend all your time trying to sue everybody that is copying your uh, the, the works you've created then you don't have enough time to create something new or to focus on the things that are really important to you and I think oh, that's a great idea. You know, it's the it's the 21st century, right? If you're making art that you don't expect people to copy, you're really not being very realistic, or at least not very contemporary, you know? And there's, like, some virtue in doing stuff that's old-fashioned, you know, hand-tatting lace or making horseshoes in the time-honored tradition. It's not really science fictional, right? It's not really contemporary. And as a science fiction writer, I should at least be engaged with the present, if not the future. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I let people download the stuff and copy it. When I was 17, I, I copied uh, uh, everything I could as fast as I could. And, and I think that's, you know, I'd be a hypocrite to say, to tell people to do otherwise. And it works. The book spent like nine weeks on the New York Times bestseller wow. list and the publisher's weekly bestseller list. And it's still on different bestseller lists every week. So I get, every week I get emails from my publicist. So it's working really well. Yeah. I guess the other thing I wanted to mention, if, if, uh, if I can, is I've got a new book coming out of essays about technology and liberty called Content. Uh, it's coming up from Tapian Books in September, uh, and it has an introduction by John Perry Barlow, who's the co-founder of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, but your listeners might know him best as the guy who wrote uh, all the best lyrics for The Grateful Dead. Huh. Really? Huh. So I, I have to say, it's been working for us, the uh, the model of releasing everything free, and then basically, I mean, for us, we don't have a hard copy, uh, anything to sell, uh, so we just ask for contributions, and about about one out of every ten of our uh, podcast listeners is a contributor to the show, and it's enough, you know, it it, uh, it helps us out, and, and it really, uh, it's a nice little income stream. Ten percent's an awesome conversion rate. You yeah. know, I, I, I feel like the important thing in the 21st century is not to make sure that everyone who listens to your stuff pays you money, but that everyone who can pay you money listens to your stuff. <laughs> and, you know, the, it's, I'm, I'm not really interested in holding 13-year-olds upside down by the ankles and shaking them <laughs> until their pocket money falls out, but I want to make damn sure that when their parents are thinking about a birthday gift that my $25 hardcover is the first thing that comes to mind. Is your book uh, it's a, it's available at Amazon, presumably? Yeah, it's available at Amazon, and okay. I actually, you know, in the past, people have tried to give me donations, and I, and I don't really want um, donations. I don't want the bookkeeping headaches and so on, but I did want to let people kind of express their gratitude because people would be kind of cheesed off, and you'd say, I don't want your money. And yeah. like, well, why? what's wrong with my money? Mm -hmm. So I came up with a program that's been working really well for, for this book, for Little Brother. I solicited the names of um, librarians and uh, teachers and people who worked in prisons and halfway houses with young people and who wanted copies of the book for their institutions, and we vetted them to make sure that they were all for real, and we put their names on the web along with the address of their institution. And then if you want to tip me, 
what you do is you buy a copy of the book for them. Oh, that's and then cool. you email me a copy of the receipt, and I take the name down, and it's been working really well. We've, hundreds of copies now have gone out that way. Neat idea. Well, if you want to get a copy of Little Brother for your bookshelf, go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, and you can grab a copy there, and then Free Talk Live will get a cut. Yet another way that we uh, capitalize off of our listeners. <laughs> Fantastic. Those old affiliate fees. And if you if you want to find me on the web, uh, I'm the first Corey in Google. So just put C-O-R-Y into Google and like the first four results are me. Wow. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> uh, now, now, Corey, you're big on the Internet and you're a libertarian. And this makes me – this draws up in my mind a question. Is that true? Wait, is that true? He hasn't actually acknowledged okay. you saying all that stuff. Laurie, Corey? Yeah, I don't know that I'm a I, – I, libertarian means so much to so many people that I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I – Worked for and believe in the program of one of the world's foremost civil liberties organization. And if I'm anything, I'm a civil libertarian. I believe in the importance of civil liberties as a bulwark to defend our freedom, uh, and as as the first uh, order of a of, uh, first order of business of a good government uh, to preserve and promote civil liberties. I don't know if that makes me a libertarian. I, I I'm probably. Uh, somewhere to the left of where you sit, but do you, but, uh, do you think that uh, the government's done a very good job of protecting? Or... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Corey, I was talking over you there. Uh, do you think the government's done a very good job of protecting civil liberties? Oh, the American government? Any, <laughs> no. Yeah, I, any any government? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's a good question. I actually think that that there have been times and places where governments have 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 really stood up for um, civil liberties and for golden liberty. moments, and that even in the American. Uh, context there there are times when when we've had you know landmark decisions i would i would think of things like roe v wade or um some of the issues around uh busing and so on now, admittedly these were tearing down rules that had been right. made that restricted freedom but those rules didn't come out of nowhere they reflected uh social norms that were even more powerful than the laws and it was actually the rule of law that allowed uh, government to overturn uh the the normative pressure that was uh part of um, the way that people were being systematically deprived of their liberty. I, so yeah, I think that there's, I think that there have been um, governments that have given people liberty. Certainly, if 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 in no other way than protecting them from from bigger thugs or bigger bastards who would have taken it away from them in a way that was more meaningful than than government. I mean, you know, I I, I helped organize um, an access to information group uh, of sub sub-Saharan nations uh, in Africa, and I spent a lot of time in Uganda. And you know, you, you just have to go to the north to to where the civil war has been raging for 15 years to see what um, how little civil liberties people can end up with, even if they don't have a government of, at all, right? I mean, those, well, those people don't have got, any freedom either. They've got lines drawn on maps by white guys that, you know, essentially says, this is Uganda, and you mofos got to live together, and you got to get along, and that's just dumb. Um, there should be, you know, you know whatever tribes well, happen well, to be yeah, in colonialism Uganda. colonialism has got its own, it's got its own problems, but, you know, like, um, like Woody Guthrie said when they asked him why he was supporting the U.S. effort in World War II, he said there's plenty of things wrong with the world, but Hitler's not going to help him. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of things wrong with what's going with, with colonialism and its legacies, but civil war and the absence of the rule of law in Uganda isn't going to help. Yeah, the absence of the rule of law in uh, Somalia seems to be doing just fine for those folks, you know. The... Well, special cases for special nations. But um, <laughs> I, I think that, that, that the people in the north of Uganda who are subject to, like, summary execution by thugs sure. would, would, uh, would be very happy to have a little rule of law. <laughs> what do you think uh, Jose Padilla thinks about that? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> just because a little good of, of something is good, it doesn't mean a lot of it is great. I'm a, I love Tabasco, but I wouldn't brush my teeth with it. Actually, <laughs> I might brush my teeth with it. <laughs> you sure must love Tabasco, then. Okay. I do, actually. A, a completely unpaid endorsement. 
So I was uh, I was wondering if you'd uh, this is the loaded question that's uh, probably going to be painful. Had you heard of Free Talk Live before you'd done this interview? Uh, well, I googled it when you guys uh, when you guys emailed me, but I hadn't heard of it per se. It's big internet. Yeah, it is a big, big internet. And we're a little show. Well, so, you know, we're, we're the number one political podcast on the internet. We've got we show up on Podcast Alley all the time. I just wondered whether you'd ever Fantastic. ever so heard of it. You know, uh, yep. Uh, my podcast listening is almost entirely technology and fiction. I do almost no news or current events. Uh, the only stuff that I keep up with uh, current events on podcasts these days is um, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation because I'm an expatriate from Toronto. I haven't lived there in like a decade now, but I still, you know, I find out about all the, the little zoning wars about, you know, where they're going to put the public parks and how the, uh, you know, whether the new mayor is doing a good job. I, I find it gives me a little warm glow to listen to that every day. So it's, it's pretty much the only current affairs I get. I can tell you all you need to know about how traffic is on the 401 in Toronto because I, I keep up with it very closely. Why, uh, why leave Canada for the United Kingdom? Well, actually, I left Canada for the United States. Ah. I, I, uh, I, um, I founded a, I co-founded a software company, an open-source peer-to-peer software company, and moved to San Francisco to open our American offices. Uh, and then I ended up working at the Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, after the company was sold. And then um, my visa ran out, and I had to decide whether I was going to renew it. And they just started fingerprinting Canadians who held visas when they came to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Friends don't fingerprint friends. And um, and then uh, I uh, I heard about some stuff happening in the U.K. that sounded really interesting. And there was also a treaty underway in Geneva at the United Nations on copyright that um, I had been working to uh, to stop. And we got a grant to do some work on that stuff. And uh, my boss asked me if I wanted to move to Europe and become the European director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So oh. I did. And I'd always said when I was making enough money from writing and it was taking up enough of my time that it was starting to interfere with my work duties that I would do the, the honorable thing and, and resign. And it hit a point where it was doing that, where, you know, I was successful enough as a writer that I, I didn't, uh, I, I couldn't do both. And so I told my boss that I was going to uh, resign as of January 1st, 2006. And I did. And so I'm now a fellow of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I, I can still work on active cases. I'm still in the, in the kind of, uh, uh, legal privilege zone. So I can, I can know things that are confidential that EFF is working on. But I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm no longer an employee. I don't draw a salary. In fact, I, I, I make large donations now every year to EFF. That's so, pretty cool. So with, uh, in your opinion, I mean, actually living in the U.K. and having lived in the United States and presumably paying at least some attention to what's going on in the U.S., which police state is worse, the U.K. Yeah, or the that's U.S.? That's a really hard question, and it's the one that I've been thinking about a lot because we're trying to figure out where to live now that I have a baby daughter. My <laughs> wife is British, but she's not particularly committed to staying here over the long term. And, you know, like London's got like three CCTVs per blood cell at this point. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy here. Uh, and, and it's getting worse. You know, they, they suspended uh, habeas corpus before America did. And, and, um, they've got the, you know, the they, kids they, database they, over there too, where like every kid in the UK is in, in this national system. database that. Proposed, proposed national database. Oh, that hasn't, hasn't actually happened. It hasn't yet. gone through yet. Okay. <laughs> There, there are there are several databases that could be merged to make that database, but that database doesn't exist yet. There is, a, there is a database of families that receive the tax credit for families, but I expect the IRS has a comparable one. Mm-hmm. The, the the thing that made that one important is that it leaked. They 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 leaked the financial information of 25 million households. God. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. These these boobs are who we're trusting for government here. I don't trust them. <laughs> oh yeah, well. 
<laughs> you know, the, 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 the thing here is that, um, you know, I, I have a friend who, who described a conversation she had with her karate instructor once. She said, you know, I said, oh, Master Sensi, what do I do if I'm wandering down, this, down a uh, darkened alley in the middle of the night and it's completely deserted and there's no one around to hear me if I scream, my phone doesn't work, and three guys step out of the shadows and they've been following me all along. And he said, don't walk down a dark alley in the middle of the night and three in the morning in a, in a place where no one can hear you scream and your phone doesn't work, right? <laughs> so how do we stop governments from leaking giant blobs of data that compromise tens of millions of people? Don't do don't collect giant blobs of yeah. data that whose leak would uh, compromise tens of millions of people. That's that's yeah. the the real issue. It's actually not who we're trusting with it. It's the fact that the in aggregate the financial data of 25 million households fit on a CD and a half, right? So I can put eight copies of that information on my phone. Wow. And once once the information is that compact. The idea that it's not going to slither away and start reproducing itself on the web and become one of those immortal information zombies that never quite disappear from the internet like Paris Hilton's genitals, um, <laughs> you know, that, it's just, it's just not really realistic. So, you know, w- we have to start realizing that once we, once we make the big mountain of personal information, we can't unmake the mountain of personal information. And the only way to stop, the only way to stop the leak is to not have it there to leak. Yeah, the well, once you give the bureaucrats the information, then it's certainly out of your hands, and they'll do whatever they damn well and please you with you know, it. The, the bean counters in government love nothing more. This is what they do. This They, they collect and compile information, and they, they just can't help themselves. They also take it's, like, it's like asking squirrels not to collect nuts. So, but, you know, in this country and in the U.S., the, the largest collectors of personal identifying information is the private sector, um, who are blithely going around collecting every damn thing they want. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's pretty hard in the United States these days to buy anything with a credit card without showing a piece of ID and sometimes allowing them to take copies of it. Um, now, th- their actual contract with Visa and MasterCard prohibits them requiring ID for a card that has a signature on it, but you try and, and pay for something without showing ID and you see what what doesn't happen to me I don't maybe this, show the door maybe it's bigger cities or something it doesn't happen to me very here. often I, I have CID written on the back of my uh, credit cards and it still rarely happens to me um, <laughs> hey Corey, you know you'd suggested that you were looking into moving somewhere and uh, just want to throw an idea out to you I know you uh, didn't necessarily accept the term libertarian and I don't either I don't like that term I don't I think it's been watered down I'm somebody that uh, that believes in total liberty 100% freedom every issue every time and I don't think the liber- the libertarian label really is, is applicable to me. But nonetheless, there are libertarians and other liberty-minded people that are all uh, moving to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Have you heard of that before, the Free State Project? I have. You know, I, 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 it, it's, it's the kind of thing that as a science fiction writer I'm deeply interested in, but as a place to live I'm a little dubious of. I tell you what, man, I, this may not be very popular with you, but I, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever live anywhere without socialized medicine again. Really? Wow. I've lived in, in two different countries with socialized medicine, both of which have been routinely vilified by people who live in the U.S., uh, but who've never experienced it firsthand. And I'm here to tell you the British healthcare system and the Canadian healthcare system, as a writer who's self-employed, I don't know how I would, I would and who has pre-existing conditions and a, a child to support, I don't know how I would ever live in the United States again without, without a, a corporate sponsor that would underwrite my, uh, my health care. Um, you know, my, my uh, mother had her hip replaced. My brother, when he was a kid, had meningitis. I had a, a two grandfathers who died of long, lingering diseases. So, like, the whole spectrum of how healthcare can work, you know, from palliative to urgent care to child care, uh, you know, care for children and so on. And I watched the Canadian healthcare system in action, and it performed magnificently. And by contrast, 
I was just in Seattle on a, on a signing and uh, doing some teaching, and I ran into a friend whose wife had just died of cancer, and I said, how are you doing, buddy? And he said, I'm $250,000 in debt. And I said, weren't you insured? And he said, yeah, that's what's left over after my insurance paid out. So I don't know what to do about it, and it may be that the answer is you, you know, maybe, maybe the only real fix for this is you scrap everything and create a perfect free market for healthcare. da 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 But until that happens, I can't afford to go bankrupt because I break my leg. You know, I can't afford to have cancer put my family into the poorhouse forever. So are are people not pulling their own teeth out uh, with pliers as we read in uh, in in uh, Great Britain? Uh, you you would dispute I have that? A wonderful NHS dentist, and the entire process for getting health care from my NHS de- dentist was: I walked down the street, I walked in, I spoke to his very lovely receptionist, I said. I'd like some some dental care, please. And she said, can you come back Tuesday at 9? And I said, no, how about Wednesday at 10? And she said, that's fine. And I got dental care every bit as good as anything I ever paid for in the United States when I lived there. So you're suggesting Um, that you you got an appointment within a week? Oh, I got an appointment within like four days, yeah. Okay. Yeah, here's the the gospel truth for you. I was on a train to Manchester about three weeks ago with my wife and daughter. Uh, I started feeling, I was on my way to give a speech the next morning. I started feeling fluey on the way up. Um, and mm. by the time we got on, I was starting to shiver, and I had fever. And then my daughter started throwing up, um, and we were kind of – you didn't know what to do. We got off the train and in Manchester. We walked into the pharmacy to see if we could get something to help bring down my daughter's temperature because she felt warm. And the pharmacist said, you know, we don't like to dispense anything to a baby that small until you speak to a doctor, but there's a walk-in NHS clinic attached to the station. So we walked in, and I'm thinking uh, back to my experience with emergency rooms in San Francisco General, which it was around the corner from where I lived, where I once spent like nine hours next to a, 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 a crank addict in four-point restraint who was bowed like a, a yoga instructor while he <laughs> screamed his head off for nine solid hours waiting for some urgent care, bleeding visibly from his wounds and from the places where the handcuffs were cutting into his, his wrists and ankles. So I'm thinking that, right? I walk into the walk-in clinic. Um, we're the only ones there. They've been, they've been dealing with people so efficiently all day that there's, that there's no one in the queue. Uh, they usher us right into a doctor's office without asking us to show ID. They just asked for our names so that they could send the information back to our home uh, primary care physician back in London. Uh, the doctor saw my daughter immediately, took a look at her, said uh, she was okay, uh, gave us information about what to do if, she, if things got worse in the night, um, told us what to tell the pharmacist to, uh, to, to give her, uh, although it was non-prescription medication. Then he looked at me and he said, you know, you look so peaky. I want you to go out and tell the receptionist I'm going to see you now. I walked out again, didn't show any ID, walked right back in again. The guy took a look at me. Uh, uh, wrote me a prescription. I walked over to the pharmacy. All prescriptions are six pounds fifty. It's about three thousand two hundred ninety-eight dollars U.S. at this point. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, had my prescription filled on the spot. No problem. No money changed hands except for the six pounds fifty for my for my prescription. And it was as good med- as med- uh, medical care as I ever got. I used to be on a on a. Um, it's quite a different experience. Program in- from what we've heard mm-hmm. from some, I mean, it's really an amazing, uh, glowing experience, and it's different from what we've uh, we've we've heard from other people that have just had absolute nightmares of waiting and being told years. that you, you know having to wait years uh, in order to get the coverage. Maybe it's parents a, parents dying before they ever get to you know uh, surgery it, and, and things like that. It sounds to me though normally like it happens to older people. Like maybe they aren't giving them the the same kind of treatment. They're every time I, every time I've heard about somebody who's from a foreign country getting socialized medicine, it's always a good thing. Thing, though. So, and he's an expatriate yeah. over in England. So, but I'm a 
Canadian, and, and you know, my elderly relatives, my, my grandmother just had a lump removed from her breast, and touch wood, everything is looking fine, um, you know, in, in, there in Toronto, and mm-hmm. had care the next day. My, my, her, uh, my grandfather, or her boyfriend, actually, they're, they're not technically married. Okay. Um, he, uh, he, he, he um, broke his femur mm. and uh, had 27 screws put in and has had the amazing expert on-site physiotherapeutic care that followed him when he went home. I mean, when we had the baby here, here's a good one for you. When we had the baby in London, we turned up in London. We, uh, we, we'd lived in Los Angeles last year. I had a Fulbright at USC. So we came back. Alice is four and a half months pregnant. We walk into the doctor's office, and um, uh, the doctor says, right, you're pregnant. That's great. Uh, the midwife will be over at your flat uh, next week. Uh, she'll call you up to book an appointment. And thereafter, the midwife and her assistant came over to our place twice a week to sit with my wife for about an hour and talk to her about how she was proceeding with the pregnancy and the birth plan. We decided we were going to have the baby at home. Uh, the council provided a, uh, a pool to have the baby in because we wanted to have a, a, a pool birth, a water birth. Yeah. And then she said, you know, if things go really badly, we might need to stabilize your wife. So we always get a prescription for pethidine, which is basically heroin. Uh, we always get a prescription for heroin um, uh, just to have on hand in case we need to stabilize them. You know, it's a one in a million chance, but, but we always do that just a precaution. I take it away when you're done. But you have to go get this prescription filled. So I walk over to the pharmacy, and, of course, they ask you questions when you're filling a prescription for an opioid. And I say it's for my wife for having a home birth, and he says, oh, pregnant lady, yes, no charge for that, hands me my free government-subsidized heroin. (laughs) The day the birth happens, the midwife and another midwife and her assistant drive all the way across town and attend us in person, on site, at home, while the birth occurs. When we're done, we both go up to bed, sleep for a couple hours, I come back down, make a cup of coffee for the midwives. Uh, make lunch for my for my wife, uh, take down the pool, and then for the next month, twice a week, the midwife came back. When we needed the first round of inoculations, it happened in our apartment. Right? I, yeah, no. it, it, the experience sounds similar to, to my wife's uh, pregnancy, except that uh, I likely, uh, you know, the, the taxpayers didn't pay twenty five thousand dollars for it. They only, you know, I personally paid five. But um, so my price tag was zero, and and. And my tax bill. Oh no! Uh, this is the other. Th- this is the other really important thing. My British tax bill is within about a hundred dollars of what my American tax bill was. You know, you don't have a you, have, you don't have a giant army to support that's uh, conquering the world. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there are other things that we spend our money on here. But if if the idea is that um, healthcare makes your taxes go way up, I'm uh, it's not. I'm not seeing it. Well, I'm in the top tax bracket in California and in London, and my tax difference was 100 bucks. Well, I, I understand where you're coming from on that, and, and the, the thing is is that in the United States, you'll spend somewhere between, and not just IRS taxes, all the taxes combined, you'll probably spend 50 to 60% of your income in taxes, and it's probably true in the UK, too, and it's distribution. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, we've our politicians want to uh, conquer the world and take the oil from people, um, and, you know, whatever else they get to use their giant, uh, amazing military for. And, and yours don't have nearly the you know over there in England they don't have quite the. Uh, Although, yeah, in this country they actually are <laughs> randomly. In Canada a little less so. They're still in Afghanistan. I don't think that's going to last. But here you know they, they're they're committing big bucks to uh, to Iraq and to Afghanistan or big pounds and and big pounds actually mean something as opposed to big bucks. Cause, right. uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Treasury's been printing money so fast that it's, it's you know, falling below the peso. Yeah, I think we're carrying the big load in Iraq, just a guess, though. Um, uh, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. On the other hand, uh, you got to count some of that money back as GDP, because when it goes into Halliburton's coffers, unless you know they're, they're uh, offshore, which I guess they are, 
But uh, they are flowing into the coffers. Most of that money is flowing directly into the coffers of American companies. Well, American billionaires, anyway. I'm not getting it. <laughs> no, no, you sure aren't. <laughs> it's just the it's but, just but, the way that the peons are constantly uh, subjugated. There's some very, very wealthy people in, in America who are certainly cleaning up. I mean, the personal fortune of Mr. Blackwater is, is nothing to sneeze at. No, I'm never going to see it. I mean, all he's ever going to be able to do, all that's ever going to happen with him is he's going to use the politicians against me time and time again. The rich will control, um, you know, the poor in that particular arena. So I'm, I'm pretty much done, now, Corey. I'm, a, I'm out of questions. Corey, anything else you wanted to add? Mm, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean... I guess I guess the, the only thing I would say is that uh, if I'm if I'm ever going to call myself a capital L libertarian, there's going to there, I need to be convinced that there's a system that's every bit as good as the healthcare system here, uh, or you know better yet, the one in France or, or you know, the ones in Scandinavia. I was just in Sweden. I, I, I you know I need a little healthcare while I was there, and it was just unbelievable. Before I can add the capital L, but I, I'm happy to be on the on the barricades with a small L. What's uh, a capital you guys, L? Because to you, uh, the capital L libertarian, you know, like like someone who's someone for whom it's a vocation and and not uh, and not just uh, a collection of ideas that that he endorses in part or in full, uh, you know, before before libertarian before libertarianism as opposed to liberty is my uh, is is my vocation. I need to I need to see a libertarian program that fixes that. I, you know, I've got friends who are like real good old-fashioned libertarians who are really involved in libertarian causes who I've talked about with this stuff. You know, John Gilmore, who's the other co-founder of Electronic Frontier Foundation, mm -hmm. and who's, you know, the, the primary funder of um, the National Organization for Marijuana Reform and, and you know, big, big backer of Cato and so on. Uh, and we've talked about this stuff before, and he really thinks that it can work without it. But I remain unconvinced. I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. But well, it's an amazing far, story. I, I mean, because we have heard, I guess, as I said, the the stories range. There's a wide range of what you hear about the socialist medicine systems out there. And and even if it is all roses and all wonderful, I still, as somebody who believes in liberty, and as I said, I don't apply the label libertarian to myself. I can't justify stealing from my neighbors in order to pay for my health care, and that's what's going on. If if I choose to not pay the government people for whatever programs they choose to run, whether it be wars or health care or whatever education, if I choose to not pay, they may put me in a prison cell. And I don't think that that's right. And I can't justify threatening my neighbors with the same sort of thing. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but that is what the inevitable result of non-participation in that system is. I understand that. I, I just I guess that I think of health care as being uh, part of the infrastructure. It's, uh, we have health care for the same reason we have sewers. Right, because microbially, as a species, we are all connected. Epidemiologically, we're connected. And um, healthcare is not an individual outcome. It has negative externalities for your neighbors. Right, the, the fact that you have tuberculosis isn't your own business. Understood. Um, good. You know the, um, the the other definition of uh, big L libertarian. One we've we've run across these terminology before, and uh, like a capital L libertarian in some ways, it, you know, to some people it means a party a, member, yeah, right? libertarian party member, as opposed to uh, just a you know like I would consider myself to be rather libertarian. Um, I don't really like the term like Ian. I I think it uh, it carries so much baggage with it that people don't even uh, you know that it shouldn't be used too right. often. Libertarians are not Bob Barr. Right. Which is what people mm -hmm. think is the case now, apparently. Right, and you know, I'm, that's oh, yeah, uh, believe me, you know, I've, I I spent a long time in the employ of a civil liberties organization, an impact litigation civil liberties organization. I've met every conceivable kind of libertarian, from you know, unreconstructed cyberpunk mm -hmm. to uh, to you know, uh, 
quite in favor of some civil liberties Swedes and and everything in between. And you know, I I don't have any beef with it. It's just not it's not where I'm at. Very good. All right, I just wanted to set, uh, to see what you meant what you meant by big L libertarian on that. Corey Doctorow, yeah, the uh, right. author of Little Brother. Anything else to cover, Mark? Well I, said. I'm good. I, I, please, everybody, read this book. I'm not kidding you. I consider this book to be the most important book I have read. Uh, you know, I, he, he may call it a young adult, <laughs> young adult book. I didn't feel like at any moment I was uh, reading some, you know, Sweet Valley High kind of thing. You weren't being talked down to. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I just wasn't. I mean, now, granted, I don't know everything there is about technology, but when it seems to me that the, the level of uh, hacking that they go into in, in this book, and I probably am using the wrong terminology, um, it, it, it's, it's well beyond most people. That it at least inspires some of the readers to go and Google up a few facts that they can use to take back some of their freedom. Very good. Excellent. Thanks for coming on the program tonight, right. Corey. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney. Finalized the contract in London and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code 600 to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. W-E-B-E-X.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details.